燃え上がれガンダムはい。I agree with your general assessment, Sean. I don't think it is the overall equal of the original Gundam, and there are some points where I have some little complaints. Yeah. But this is important. Every little complaint I have with Zeta Gundam is only in comparison to the original Mobile Suit Gundam.、Yeah. I don't think I have any complaints with Zeta Gundam relative to like, television or storytelling in general.、Yeah. Just like, oh, I think this structural thing the original kind of did better, and. But you know, it was different, so who cares? It's good.、Uh, no, I think Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam is, if not the best sequel to anything I've ever seen, it is really high up there. Like Godfather 2, Empire Strikes Back level of like, it is hard to imagine another sequel being this smart or bold or interesting in how it is in conversation with the original while pushing forward on something bold and new. And it is also just as a standalone anime. Utterly astonishing. It is an epic in every sense of the word, and it has one of the, let's just say, most memorable endings you will ever see to anything ever. Yeah, no, it is, it is, it fucking, it knows what it is, it knows what it wants to do, and it, it goes for it 100%.、Yeah. And it moves with a confidence that the original Gundam, being the young, plucky upstart, doesn't quite get to have. Yeah. Because the original Gundam is kind of like feeling its way out and inventing a lot of this stuff. You know, Zeta Gundam takes four or five episodes to do what the original Gundam does in one, not because Zeta Gundam is bad or slow, but just because it's like, we don't have to. Like, we、yeah. can kind of stretch our legs and do it differently. And all of that is good too. So, yeah,、um, 
I'm blown away. I just finished watching it last night. You definitely wanted to do this while it was still fresh. Yeah. Because you can hear the astonishment in my voice for everything that happens at the end of that fucking show. Yeah, because basically how this happened was, like, yesterday from when we're recording this, you texted me being like, oh, like, when are we going to do the podcast, like, for both the the main Weekly Stuff podcast? And then you also said, oh, and I, I will be finishing up Zeta Gundam tonight. So we could also do the Weekly Stuff, or the Weekly Suit Gundam episode at the same time. And I just saw that I'm like... Well, shit, if you're finishing it up right before the day we normally record a podcast, then me, person who knows how Zeta Gundam ends, is like, that means we. I so desperately needed to do this podcast as soon as possible because I wanted you very fresh. I didn't want you to have a full week to sit on the ending of Zeta. I wanted to get your, like, as immediate reactions as I could get. Yep, you're going to hear it soon. Before we get into spoiler stuff, I also just want to say... You've pretty much converted me to a full Gundam fanboy. Yeah, it's, I'm so happy with how all this has turned out. I have bought nine different Gundam books now. I have six volumes of Thunderbolt. I have two volumes of the origin manga, which I'm a volume into, and good God, we'll have to talk about that sometime. That mm. manga is a masterpiece. Um, and I've bought the novelization by Tomino of Mobile Suit Gundam in yes, English. Which, which is, I also have. I have the English and the Japanese versions, and I've been yeah. working my way through the Japanese. We might have to do an episode on on alternate versions of the original Gundam at some point. Yeah. Um, because that sounds like it would be fun, too. Uh, so I've got all of those books. Um, I have not bought a Gunpla yet. That's mostly just because I'm not in my actual home. I'm driving back to... as the, At the time of this recording, I, I've been house-sitting for my parents uh, here in Colorado. I'm going to go back to Iowa... Uh, in a couple days here, and when I'm back in my own domain, that I feel more uh, okay wrecking with a bunch of plastic nubs. Mm-hmm. Um, I will probably be buying my my eyes on the Shar Zaku from the Origin because it's red and it's cool. It's got that little horn. Got that it's little horn. Um, anyway, so that's the only thing I haven't done. But but here's how much of a fanboy I am now, Sean. Uh huh. Every time I get in my car and I pull back on the stick to go into drive. I yell, Ikimas! Oh my god, I knew you were going to say that. I, you know, I, I don't do that. I, 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 you know, I've, I'm not going to say I've never thought it, but I've certainly never gone like, Sean Chapman, Ikimas! Jonathan Lack, Subaru Outback, Ikimas! Yeah. Ikuze! Because once you get through, because every character has their own little yeah. one that they do. Yeah, eventually you're just like, oh, I'm going to do Garode Ron from After War Gundam X. I'm going to do his call out today. Because Zeta Gundam does it way more than the original. Because yes. Camille has like his thing that he does every fucking time. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, it's like, I'm in a, I'm in, I think I'm in the honeymoon phase, you know? Uh-huh. If, if, if watching and devouring Gundam as much as I am is equivalent to, you know, like early marital fucking, that's what I'm, I'm just, it's nonstop. I mean, it is it is that thing where I mean the original Mobile Suit Gundam and Zeta Gundam, and then the OVAs around the One Year War are like the like top A S tier Gundam stuff. Like I still think that most Gundam shows are really really good, but this is like this is the meat. Like this is the best stuff. Oh, and the party isn't ending here because I got a lot more to watch. Oh, so yeah. so anyway, uh, and and I actually Sean. I was going to ask this at the end, but while we're still in the spoiler-free part, I, I just want to get this out there for anyone who's wondering. Obviously, one of the next major things I'm going to hit is Double Zeta Gundam. Yes. I think my plan at the moment is to do a little, like, 
like like cleanse between them, I'm going to double back and watch Stardust Memory, which is the Zeta Gundam prequel OVA. Yes, that's set during 0083. Which seems like this would be the right point to watch it, relatively. Yeah, because mm, yeah. Yeah, it was made well after Zeta. Yeah. So I definitely am a... I prefer... Watch the Zeta, then go and see the thing they made after that kind of sets up some yeah. of the world stuff. Yeah, but I feel like I want to do it before the Titans are a distant memory. Yeah. Because it's Stardust Memory is the story of how, like, the Titans start. Yes. Um, so I'm going to watch that. Double Zeta Gundam has a bad reputation on the internet. And yes. does it? Does, I've never actually heard you talk about it other than you've, you've said some things of, like, oh, I like this character in Double Zeta. But you're the person I trust because we okay. have had so far yes. exactly one-to-one opinions on Gundam. Okay, yeah, because this was this was something that I wanted to talk about for sure. Is one number one thing with the bullet: the internet is wrong about Double Zeta Gundam. Okay, um, and there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, the main one being that Double Zeta does have a, a rough opening. I would say the first it's about the first like eight or nine episodes or so, um, where you're kind of being introduced to the new cast of characters. Um, Double Zeta is also set very shortly after the end of Zeta Gundam and has. Of the characters that can return from Zeta Gundam, many of them return, and you get more closure. It um, started airing the next week. Like, it was yes. just, it took the time slot. Yeah, it is not like Mobile Suit Gundam to Zeta Gundam, where there's a big gap, um, both in production and in timeline. Like, double, in fact, like, I think Zeta Gundam and Double Zeta Gundam are shows that should be seen kind of as a pair. Like, they, they in my mind, they kind of occupy similar spaces, because Double Zeta is where a lot of the... Stuff that happens in Zeta Gundam gets unpacked, and then the protagonist Judo Ashta is a very different kind of Gundam protagonist for for reasons we'll talk about once you get to Double Zeta. But he provides a very interesting alternative perspective on some of like the world um, and the, the kind of role of other Gundam protagonists and how they've responded to things. Um, but so the, that opening section when you're on Shangri La, which is a space colony inside one, um, which is where our our main characters like Judo and his friends are. That stuff and the and the Argama being there and the kind of getting in the kids getting kind of ingratiated into and eventually becoming part of the crew of the Argama with Captain Bright. Like that section of the show is intentionally a big tonal whiplash where they go really hard into a kind of comedy that Gundam has never done before and, and doesn't really ever go back to much. There's a little bits and pieces where they kind of do some of it again. But it's, it's mostly their focus at the beginning of Double Zeta. And some of that works for me well, but I think it's just too long. I think if it was like a three to four episode stretch instead of like an eight episode stretch, that dynamic would work really well. It just goes on a bit too long. And I think one of the reasons why the internet has, and particularly the Western fandom, has a very negative opinion on Double Zeta is that, one, for the longest time it had just absolutely no English release, and so for a long time it went completely unwatched, because it also, I still think, doesn't have an official like American English dub, um, language dub release for it. Um, and so a lot of fans just never saw it. And then when people started seeing it, I think a lot of people bailed out before it got good, because once Double Zeta gets good, it gets really fucking good. And the stuff... Particularly the middle stretch when you get to the like, you know, the thing that every Gundam show does where it eventually goes to Earth and shit kind of starts getting real once you get back to Earth. Um, what that section of Double Zeta is some of my favorite stuff in the whole franchise. So I, I suspected as much. And as I said, yeah. this is a marriage. I can take eight or nine episodes that are the equivalent of those sexless nights where you're fighting. Sure, yes. Because I'm in it for the long haul, goddammit, and there are good times ahead. Yes. 
And and there's and again, I don't want to paint those episodes as like they're just bad. It's more like it, and it will be for you, Jonathan. It will be the first like prolonged stretch of clumsy episodes of Gundam, which is good to get through that because they're like most Gundam shows have stretches that are like not the, every single episode is the best thing I've ever seen. Most it's, you only have a couple of those like Mobile Suit Gundam, Zeta Gundam, Turn A Gundam that are like the absolute best ones that have that effect. Yeah. Most Gundam shows have like ah oh, here's this like five episode stretch that is fine but could be better the way that any 50 episode anime show is going to have those stretches oh. look I've seen the entire Garlic Junior arc multiple times I'm okay yeah, I've, I've, I I'm used that. to this it's, it's like you're right because it's if Gundam were the only anime I'd ever seen and then I saw an anime that were slightly less good I'd be disappointed but I have seen other anime yeah, I'll be yes. okay yeah <laughs> I just yeah I just want to make it clear that like if people start watching Double Zeta make sure you get a couple of episodes into once they're out of Shangri-La because if you're like if you get deep into that section and you're like at episode 15 or 16 and you still don't like it then you're probably not going to like it but um don't don't like pull the shoot when you're still on side 1 because that's when the show is still finding itself. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So I think that takes care of the spoiler-free segment of this. So if you haven't seen Zeta Gundam, you can bail now. We'll be back at some point to talk Double Zeta, and I'll probably roll in Stardust Memory into that, and that'll yeah. be our next episode. But for now, Sean, spoilers. Uh-huh. I'm just going to start with this. How did you get through six episodes of Weekly Suit Gundam <laughs> talking about Kika, Cats, and Let's uh-huh. and not let on to me that they were going to brutally murder one of the little children who was the comic relief in the original series? Do you have no idea how many times I thought about the fact that Cats fucking just gets fucking just... He gets fucked up in the end. He blows the fuck up? Yep, fucking Yazan, he's a real motherfucker, <sighs> kills Cats, and yes, it like... Constantly, when watching, rewatching Mobile Suit Gundam, um, and for the third time, and then watching the movies, every time Kika Cats and Let's Run Screen, I'm like, oh, cats. Oh, no. Oh, oh boy. You poor kid. I know what's going to happen to you. You poor kid. Poor fucking Hayato and Frau mm-hmm. lost their, their war orphan. They've still got two left. Are, are Kika and Let's okay? Just spoil this for me. Are they're, they okay? They're okay. They never really come up again in a major way. Like, That's yeah. okay. That means they're safe. Yes. No. Yeah. They do not. If they had... Because, you know, I think Cats and Let's are fine. Um, but Kika is the leader of the War Orphans from the original show. If they had done anything bad to her, I don't think I could take it. Yeah. God. I mean, I, you know, they could retcon it at any time and do an OVA called Kika's Gruesome Death. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean... So, so... Because... Yes, so kill him all, Tomino. Rears his head. Although one thing that's important to note um, is because because when I found out about his nickname, Kill him all, Tomino, I thought for the longest time that he got that nickname from Zeta Gundam uh, because almost everybody dies at the end of Zeta Gundam. I'm like, if there's a show where someone gets named Kill Em All, it's surely for the one where he fucking kills them all. But actually, that show that nickname comes from. Invincible Superman Zambot 3, which is a show that came out in 19, from 1977 to 1978, which is a super robot show that I have not seen all of. I only watched the last episode because when I found out that that's where he got the nickname from, I was like, what the fuck is the show that he got that nickname from that came out before Gundam? Um, and that is a show that all the main characters are basically like 12-year-old kids and most of them die in the last episode. It is <laughs> fucking crazy that that got put on TV. But yeah, so this is... Zeta Gundam is one of 
if not maybe the darkest Gundam show. Like it is, oh, yeah. it goes, it goes to some deep places. Like Victory Gundam, um, which is another Tomino one, um, is also fucked up in a lot of ways. But Zeta Gundam is ruthless. Like it is a bloodthirsty fucking show that is absolutely willing to just kill off characters. Um, and especially as we talked about with the original Mobile Suit Gundam, uh, Tomino is a guy who knows that. Hey, we're in a finale. This is going to be the end of this show. That means no holds barred. You can do whatever you want. Anybody can die. And for him, if anybody can die, they probably are going to. Yeah. I mean, so you and I were talking about this a little off the air. Yeah. Pretty, almost every character original to Zeta Gundam who is introduced in Zeta dies in Zeta. Yes. The ones who don't, it's easier to say the ones who don't. Yeah. Which is Fayuiri. Yep. Beltor Chica Irma, who just kind of, she's not a main character, but she is introduced. She does yeah. not die. And Camille, I, I'm going to say Camille because that's how they say it. It's Camille, just, I know. Just say Camille. It's I easier. Know. It's, I'm sorry, just when it comes out of my mouth, yeah. it's just because I've been, I've been binging this show for like a week, Sean. Right. And, and they don't pronounce it the way we pronounce it. Camille. I know. I love it. It's, it's such a good name to come out of a Japanese mouth that yeah. way. But yes, Camille does not die, but he is kind of gone. Yes. Yazan makes it. He's the he's the guy who kills cats. He but you don't die. you don't it's 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 an Easter egg there that you can kind of see. You don't know it yes. for a fact. Yeah, he he but survives, just, and yeah. then they they hint that Char survives yeah. in the last shot as well. Right. Although Char again not original to Zeta Gundam. Oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah. Good point. But but yeah. my point is just like the of the original characters because uh, obviously some original characters from the from the first show like uh, cats dies. Yeah. But most of the characters from original Gundam live, but the new characters to Zeta. Almost all of them die. And you were saying, kind of the closest analog, it's not any of those stupid American dramas that are like, we're bloodthirsty, we kill characters, because this like minor figure who was in three episodes died. And that makes us bloodthirsty, yay! Yeah. Um, looking at you, Game of Thrones. Um, no, the probably closest analog is Shakespeare. It's like yes. Hamlet or something. The thing is, Hamlet does not have a shock factor for us. Exactly, because before yeah. you've ever read Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet, you know the story just through cultural osmosis. Yeah, and then also the first time you experience those stories, you're also so in, unfamiliar with the language that it like ruins, the, I think, the impact of you experiencing those stories the first time. And it takes like a couple of times yeah. for you to like, really kind of get it. Yeah, you know, Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet have a lot of different impacts on me. I don't like cry or feel heartbroken at the end. Exactly. It's just yeah. it's the story. It exists. It's like the it's like the Odyssey or something. I just know that story, right? Yeah. Zeta Gundam is like Shakespearean if it were made today, fresh modern sensibilities to hit you the way it might have Hamlet might have an audience in the 1500s or something, right? Yeah. And yeah, that is the best comparison because it is everybody fucking dies. They they save there is there are so many pieces on the board for those final episodes and they knock them all the fuck down yep. and it is because it is also we should say it's not just a kill fest it is a narratively and thematically abundantly satisfying just darkly so ending and yeah I mean it's it's hard not to start at the end here just for a little bit and yeah. talk about because what struck me is that. Zeta Gundam, it, we're going to talk about all the ways it is different than the original, because it is fascinating what a different direction they take things. One of the big ways is that it is much more sprawling. Yeah. The original Gundam is pretty focused. Amuro is our clear protagonist. He's there all the time. You're on the white base. The white base is the main ship you follow. If you see any other ships, it's just because the white base comes across them. You have kind of one central antagonist at a time in original Gundam. 
you have like Char hangs over all of it and the Zabi family does, but like you don't have Garma coming in and out. You have a couple episodes with Garma, then we deal with him. A couple episodes with Dozel, deal with him. Yeah. You know, a couple episodes with Rambaral, deal with him. And it's very focused beginning to end and has a relatively small set of characters compared to Zeta Gundam. Oh, yeah, Zeta yeah. Gundam has much of that cast... Uh-huh. Who survived? Not not the zombies. Only Minova, um, who was a baby, because they're all fucking dead. Yes, yeah. Char made sure of that. Char made sure of that. Char got, never betrayed anybody. Got that job done. Um, so you have all of them. You have the new Zeta Gundam crew, which has a lot of characters and a lot more introduced throughout. The AEUG has people has multiple ships. You've got multiple crews. You've got people going back and forth between those crews, and you've got a metric fuck ton of antagonists. I just tried to list them all. Because you have Jared, Basque Ohm, Jamitov Hyman, just an amazing name. Yep. Yazin Gobble, Patrimus Shiroko, Harman Karn, Rekoa after a point, Sarah, like you just go on and on and on. There's yeah. all these different antagonists. And pretty much none of them are taken off the board before the climax. Yeah, you have a couple of those, like the 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 handful of women around Jared mm-hmm. that that um get killed that are also just like that, that it was a kind of character that Mobile Suit Gundam didn't really use much, which is mm-hmm. here's like an, an ace enemy that is around for a couple of episodes and then gets killed. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of all continues. It's much more sprawling. It is not as sort of arc focused as the original Gundam is. And at certain points that annoyed me on the show and it felt a little aimless, but the ending is so good and throws the rest of the series in this such stark relief for mm-hmm. me. That's the brilliance, is that it has this epic scope and this sprawl, and then it brings it all in at this laser-focused point at the end to just bring it all home. And, you know, I'm not going to say the ending of Zeta Gundam or Original Gundam is better. I think they're kind of on equal footing to me. But the, the achievement of what they do in the Zeta Gundam ending of bringing all of those chickens home to roost at once is in-fucking-sane. Yeah. And it's insane in a different way of the original Gundam, which is, shit, we only have four episodes. <laughs> Let's do this. Which is insane in its own way. Yeah. This is insane in a, like, forethought and planning way. Um, but that is part of the impact, too, is that, you know, the original Gundam has plenty of deaths, but they're spread out. This is, most everyone survives until the very end of Zeta Gundam, and it's the last couple of episodes where it's just like, all right... The penultimate episode, Casualties of War, we are going to dispense with Cats, and we're going to dispense with Captain Henkin, and we're going to dispense with Jared before the act break. Yep. Yep. And after the act break, there's plenty more where that came from. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That is, that is, to me, like that epic sprawl down to such a focused point. You know, there were points in Zeta Gundam, I always enjoyed it, but ones where I was a little unsure of where it was going with things... I will say I feel much stronger about the series having finished it than I was at certain points in the middle. And that is a praise, not a criticism. Yeah, so because I have seen Zeta Gundam twice now. I, I obviously did not rewatch it all again in the span of about a week to, to, to do this podcast. So, so it's been a couple months since I watched it. And I, I loved it on my first watch through. But it is definitely a show that the second time through I liked it even more. Um, because... Um, like if we had been doing this Gundam stuff after my initial going through of, of all the series, I would have said that Double Zeta I liked more than Zeta Gundam, even though Double Zeta is definitely has a stronger, longer, weaker period at the beginning. Um, but I think on second watch through of both of those shows, 
Zeta Gundam. It, like Zeta Gundam is definitely probably about five to six episodes too long. I think there's some like a lot of fat out of it it's in that kind of middle stretch um, where it gets a little bit repetitive that you can kind of cut out. And there's a couple of storylines like I think the Rosamia stuff is could have been done a little bit better. Um, it's a little bit too repetitive of for a storyline. But other than a couple of those little things, there there is such a sense of they know what is going on with Zeta and. On your first time through, like, you are so kind of closed off from a lot of, like, the larger political maneuverings that are going on between all these different factor- or factions. Whereas when you go through it the second time and you know kind of who all the players are and what's going on in that space, um, like, the, 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 as you're saying, the sprawl of it becomes so impressive because you realize, oh, like, you're kind of, I think, meant to be confused and a little bit lost around the middle your first time through. And then as more gets revealed to you, if you go back through again, you can kind of see where all those pieces land. Yeah, I mean, it's a show that ends with four warring factions. Yeah. Because you've got Haman, Shiroko, the Titans, and the AUG. Yeah. All on the battlefield, all fighting each other, basically. Mm -hmm. Which is very different than the... Easily digestible focus of the original Gundam, which is Zeon's Federation. Yeah. I get that. That is a setup that a lot of sci-fi has done, right? Yes. This is not a setup a lot of sci-fi has done. Um, yeah, so I mean, let's just, let's talk about how this works as a sequel and in comparison to the original series. Yeah. Because that's really interesting in that it's, it's so weird to talk about because this show is absolutely in active conversation Virtually every step of the way with original Gundam. And it is pretty constantly doing moments that are meant to echo in different twisted ways things you have. As well as just having, like, Char is one of the main characters. Other than Camille, he probably has the second most dialogue in the series. Yeah. He is effectively one of the leads. His role is very elevated from what it was in the original Gundam. And you are constantly trying to think about who this guy was and who he is now. Amuro is a smaller figure in Zeta Gundam, but you do a lot with him in that way. You know, a lot of that, right? Um, and yet, Zeta Gundam is a radically different show than the original. And I think threading that needle where you can be both in conversation with your predecessor while also being radically different, I don't know if I've really seen a sequel nail it like that before. Because yeah. even some of the great sequels that I named earlier, like Godfather 2 is not, other than having this flashback structure, it's not like it's a radically different movie. It's not stylistically different than Godfather 1. It's more of what you loved, and it's just very smart. Same with Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, Zeta Gundam is sort of like... If the modern Star Wars movies were as good as their potential offered, you know? Yes, definitely. So, so yeah, so Zeta is made in 85 and 86. So it's six years after Mobile Suit Gundam originally aired, like four to five years after those movies came out. So this is after Gundam has gotten super popular. Those movies were hugely successful. And so that's like one of the immediate things that is notable about Zeta Gundam is it is a very expensive looking show. Like they, they clearly put a lot of like time and investment in Zeta, like giving it the sort of room and allowing it to be what it wants to be. And so, you know, Zeta Gundam is a four core show, which means it ran for 50 episodes and they just got off 50 of their fucking episodes. Nothing got taken away from them. Um, and so immediately it just feels like this is a lot of the same team. It's obviously still Yoshiki Tomino as the sort of the series lead. Um, so they are like, it's still those people going back and kind of 
after they have done that first show and then done the movies, uh, tackling it again and and going back to that universe. And then they immediately make, I think, a couple of like really smart choices. Is One, they set it in 0087, so it's about eight years after um, Mobile Suit Gundam, or seven years after the end of the one-year war. Um, they always make sure that the new protagonist, Camille, is at the center of the show. Yes. They never... While you have... Char is there for most of it, and there's like that big stretch on Earth where Amuro kind of takes Char's place, and he's a really significant character. Camille is always at the center of the show, and that's really important because that's something I think the sequel Star Wars movies have a hard time dealing with is the characters like Han Solo and Luke pulling away so much of the air from the new cast. Rey is absent from the third act of The Last Jedi. Exactly. And and so those characters kind of get displaced a little bit. This is also something that like Gundam itself in later shows has a hard time doing. Like Seed to Destiny, which is a sequel to Gundam Seed, runs into that problem where they introduce a new protagonist, but as soon as some of as soon as the original protagonist comes back into the story, he kind of just sucks all the air out and the new protagonist just gets fucked and that show doesn't really what know what to do past that point. So they know always to keep their like eye focused primarily on Camille. He is still our protagonist. Um, and then they know they also decide to really radically shape and like shake up the way that the like politics of that world exist. So it is not the same setup. Zeon has been defeated. There are remnants of Zeon that have gone like outside of the Earth sphere, basically, who then obviously they come back into the show in the second half, and they're like the main antagonist of Double Zeta. You have the Earth Federation, which won the one year war. They have kind of given rise to this um, kind of special faction within the military called the Titans that are fascistic. And they are the main antagonists of Zeta. So now the Earth Federation forces become effectively the antagonistic side. And then you have the AUG or the AUG, the Anti-Earth Union Group, which is a technically a faction that exists within the scope of the Earth Federation government that is like kind of lobbying against and, and ultimately takes military action against the Titans. And so there's kind of this internal struggle within the Earth Federation. And then the Zeons come back in later. And that kind of like the political maneuvering and the much more of like fractured, complicated universe setup, I think is such a smart choice because it takes a thing that if you have seen that first show, you have a lot of expectations for what this world looks like and what the politics of this world are. And then they say, well, most of our viewers have like a basic footing and a foundation for that. So let's take this opportunity to then make this really, really complicated and lean really hard into that element as well. Absolutely, because it's not even the same kind of conflict you had before. Yeah, it's not a war. It's a it's a guerrilla style conflict. Like yeah. it's half political, and it is half battles. But it's not these big pitch battles with multiple fleets. You get that at the end, but that's the only time. Otherwise, it is like small guerrilla operations. There is almost none of you know what you would get in the original Gundam, where like Amuro is flying through, blowing up three different ships. Yeah. like Camille doesn't get to do that. Um, because he's usually doing like one-on-one -on -one battles where the technology is such that you're not just blowing up mobile suits left and right. It's so so like yeah, every side of it is different. I I want to focus in on that that turn, which it kind of seems obvious when you look at it in hindsight. But I think look at all the other franchises that are very reluctant to do this is switching the allegiances of like who your protagonist is. So Amuro is with like the mainstream government fighting against the rebels. Yeah. In this one, you have someone allied with the rebels fighting against the mainstream government. 
And that alone, I think, is kind of a brilliant choice that I said this to you after we started watching it, Sean. The Star Wars sequel trilogy 100% should have done that. Yeah. Where the it could have still been called the First Order, but like that element needed to be the main government of the world. Like whatever had come out of the rebels defeating the Empire needed to have like overreacted and then Rey would have been with a different kind of force. Like that would have been the interesting thing to do rather than just uh, the Empire has a new name. Yes, yeah. Instead of kind of resetting the board more or less where it was in a new hope but with new names you yeah you you reshape what it looks like and take very different perspectives and that's i think one of the reasons why zeta is such a great sequel is that it is not like it, it clearly like it respects things about the original show like it's it doesn't like go out of its way to like dis gun no. or anything like that but it is not precious about it ever it's not like it's not afraid to say that you know amra is kind of an asshole and like amra and like and a part of the thing about Zeta Gundam is that one of the reasons why the world has become what it is is because the people who won the last war were not proactive enough about trying to shape a world that was better. So yeah. it's like Amuro from his traumas kind of recedes. Char leaves and goes with the Zeons and, and like the Axis uh, forces. And then clearly you don't get a lot of insight into the show and exactly what happened while he was there. But clearly he just kind of didn't accomplish anything meaningful and comes back and just becomes a normal regular soldier in this small kind of rebel force without using any of like the full power available to him. And so the Zeta Gundam is not precious about trying to glorify anything about that original show. It's always interested in looking at the things that original show did and complicating them further. It's, you know, there are many themes on Zeta Gundam's mind. Like it yeah. is, it is a much more thematically and politically complicated show than the original. Mm -hmm. But I would say one of the major themes is about if you are not proactive in being out there trying to forge the better world you fought for, that creates a vacuum and someone will fill it. Yeah. And so, like, there's a reason Zeta Gundam ends with four people in a theater on a stage debating their visions for a better world. And why it does not end with Char out there being a cool, victorious hero. Yeah. Because that's not who he set himself up to be. Exactly. And, and so there's a lot of that in this show. I, I agree. I think that's really fascinating. And that you have... And that is also the brilliant thing about keeping a new protagonist here and having it be Camille and having him be, honestly, a very different character than Amuro. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, at a certain point, a much more mature character than Amuro, which I think is really interesting, mm -hmm. given where Camille starts in the show. Um, and so that you have a different and a new and a fresh perspective on all of this, which invites you, the viewer, to look at this with fresh eyes and see, like, okay, now that I'm not looking at Amuro in the position of protagonist... What is he? And now that I'm not looking at Char in the position of antagonist, but buddy and mentor figure, yeah. who's he? And it's there's really fascinating stuff throughout there. I mean, again, like I just think in terms of the potential of a sequel to be in conversation with, but also advancing from the original, I don't I can't think of a sequel richer than this. I, I agree, yeah. I don't know what that would even be. <laughs> like And it's and one thing that's really cool about it is it is a a concept that doesn't really exist in an American context of it's a sequel TV show. Yes. Um, which is something that's really, it's one of the things I, it's like one of the great things about being an anime fan and specifically a Gundam fan is that, you know, Gundam is a franchise that, you know, all the main Gundam series are anime original shows that are all around 50 episodes in length. And so they are all designed to be a 50 episode series that 
has a definitive ending. Some of them get sequels, but they are sequel TV shows. They are not season twos. And those are really different things. And so it's a cool model of being to ha- able to have, like, here's, like, you know, a dozen plus hours of this story with these characters for this TV show. And here's another show made by these same people in the same setting, um, but is a t- has a totally different main cast of characters, has a very different perspective, has different themes, um, has different conflicts, is, is like set way later in the timeline and can, you know, be enjoyed and watched on its own. Any of these shows can all be enjoyed on their own. Like I think it's they're best enjoyed in the like sequence that they were made in. But you could just watch Zeta Gundam and you'd have a great time and it gives you all the information you need to digest it. And so that framework, I think, is so cool and it's so potent. And it's the kind of thing that I wish we had something that was more like that that you could do in, in American television. Like, honestly, if HBO were smart, that's what you'd do with Game of Thrones. Yeah. Even as catastrophically bad as a sequel to Game of Thrones is, or as, as the, sorry, the ending to Game of Thrones was... I would be so much more interested in a sequel set like 50 years later in Westeros yeah. than I am in the prequel they're making. Yeah. I don't give a shit about the prequel because they told us everything I need to know. Like, I know the lore of, of that. I want to see what comes next. Like, you know, Lord of the Rings you can't do that with because of the very specific way it ends with all fantasy dies. Yeah. <laughs> but like Game of Thrones, you totally could. That would be really interesting and, and unprecedented in American television, basically, for at least something that big. There there are some sequel TV series here and there, but they tend to be more obscure. Yeah. So like and oftentimes they're like it's more of like a spin off than yeah. like a true sequel show. Exactly. Yeah. But like, yeah, absolutely. Like I would love to see Someone come in, in this case a totally different creative team, and say like, okay, after 50 years of rule by Bran the Broken, like, where does the world of Westeros go? And it wouldn't have to be any of our original characters, but just like, that world is absolutely rich enough to support that. Yeah. Why not? That would be so much smarter. But we're like allergic to that here. Like, we don't do that. Yeah, and like the American TV model is so built on this need to have to go on for many, many, many seasons. And instead of having, here's this like one focused production that, which we have that for like mini series, but that's also not quite the same thing. It's like these kinds of shows um, that, that the, the space that Gundam occupies with most of its main series is in some sort of weird middle ground between a season based television and a mini series. Yeah. So talking about differences between this and the original, I also wanted to mention some of the stylistic and pacing differences. Yeah. Because it is also, let's start with the pace because it is paced very differently. At times, I love that. And I think, for instance, like, Zeta Gundam having a nice kind of slow start is really interesting. And I think it needs to have it because this is a show... This show is even less hand-holdy than the original. And the original does not hold your hand at Uh all. But this one really doesn't hold your hand. So, like, you kind of just need more time in the world to get your bearings. Because they never, like, sit down and explain what the Titans are. You get it through immersion. It's like learning a language. Yeah. So, you know, I think... Really, like, if you were going to start watching Zeta Gundam, you really need to sit down and, like, watch, I would say, the first five. Up to when Camille's dad dies. Yeah. That's roughly what I would say the equivalent of, like, the first two of the original Gundam are. And so some of that pace is, is, is I really like that. And I, I think it's interesting that it, it does not generally do the arc focus that the original Gundam does. Where, you know, the way you broke up the original Gundam, I found very impressive. But it's also pretty obvious where those breakpoints are. Yeah. Because they build those in. I don't know what you would do with this one. Other than that I know one episode would end with episode 20 where Camille gets back off Earth. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, yeah, there's like, it's mostly just, okay, here's a, a bit where there's in space. 
now they're on Earth, now they're in space, they're in Earth for a little bit, they're in space again. Like, yeah. that's in my head how it's kind of structured, but you're, it's not, it's not like here's the Rumble Rao arc. Like, no. that's not really a thing. And, and I think for the most part, especially having seen the ending, they pull that off very well. There are a few points, particularly around the middle of the show, like I would say episodes like 26 through 35, somewhere in there. Yeah. I think it gets a little aimless, and there are some episodes, and my biggest complaint there would be, there are times when I don't know what the Argama is doing. And uh-huh. one of the things the original Gundam does, and this is what I mean by when I say my complaints about Zeta Gundam are only in comparison to the original, because for most TV shows... I don't care. It's a weekly thing. It's episodic. They found an adventure to have. I wouldn't care so much about the overall direction. One of the things the original Gundam does so well is that even when they do some one-off stories, like The Winds of War or um, The Time Be Still, Still. something like that, that are like obviously cut out of the movies, in those episodes, I know exactly what the White Base is doing. They are on their way here to do this. You are never in doubt about that. There are times in Zeta Gundam where I don't know what the Argama is doing, because I'm like, why are you back around the moon if you're not resupplying, or something like that, you know? Right, yeah. And there's a couple too many of those. So I think overall, like, uh, it, it's trying a very different pace. Some And sometimes, again, that sense of repetition and whatnot, well, we're going to get into later all the stuff with, they translate it in the subtitles as cyber new types, but it really, it's Kyokan Ningen. Yeah, it's we, like modified humans, basically, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, I'll just call them cyber new types for ease of use. Yeah, like that's but, the official Sunrise-sponsored okay. like English localization yeah. term. Um, which, it's, it's a little awkward in the subtitles because new type is a word they just say in English. Exactly, yeah. So even if you don't know Japanese, you can very clearly tell that they're not saying that cyber new type. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah so the, but the Kyokan Ningen characters, there's a repetition with that that I actually think works to the show's favor in how it all wraps up in the final three. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later. But you don't know it while you're in it. So it just takes a little bit of faith. It's kind of what you were talking about earlier. Um, so that's pace. I also want to talk about style. This is stylistically a radically different show in a lot of ways. Yes, because Gundam, the original Mobile Suit Gundam was 1979, and it is a 70s-ass fucking anime. Like, uh-huh. Mobile Suit Gundam is a part of that, like, style Zeta Gundam is mid '80s, and so you kind and of and it like, is '80s ass. Yes, you know, like you have skipped like the whole transitionary period, which is where like that's where Armored Trooper Bottoms is, which is like 1980. Right now, I'm I've just started watching some um, Super Dimension Fortress Macross, which is set in, it was made in '82. Um, that's the show it, that became Robotech, right? Yes, yeah. When I came over here, they recut it into Robotech, um, and that's where um, the like. Robots that transform between train or between planes and like mechs that got popularized by Matt Cross that then Zeta does a version of that as well. And so and then and then that is like clearly in this transitionary period between 70s style anime and then kind of like, you know, something like Dragon Ball or something that's like way more 80s. Um, but yeah, but since you skip that whole period, if you just like watch from Mobile Suit Gundam to Zeta Gundam, it is just like immediately you go into this like sick 80s beats and like sick 80s hair and like these much more kind of like heavily detailed mobile suit designs some of which i think like ends up working against the show because some of the like random one-off titans mobile suits just like are like blend together but then but some of them like the psycho gundam the cubile or the zeta gun or the mark ii like some of them are really cool because they have that detail to them um that like big shift in aesthetic i think really works in the show's favor because it ends up being able to it goes from 
Gundam being in one really, really well-established anime aesthetic that has, has like all this precedence to then jumping to another different, really, really, really well-established anime aesthetic without having that like weird, awkward kind of middle period that Vodums and Macross um, are in that like some of it works and some of it feels like they kind of don't know what they're going for stylistically yet. And Zeta just kind of skips over that period and it's, and it just lands like right in the middle of the eighties and feels like this is an eighties ass anime and it is fucking cool. It helps sell the illusion also that time has gone by in the world. Yes, exactly. Char no longer is dressed to the nines in his military apparel and his, his helmet and his weird mask thing. He now has a fucking Sylvester Stallone ripped tank top with his muscled arms and just sunglasses. Yes, because he's a very cool guy. <laughs> that, I think Char is the easiest point of comparison for 70s versus 80s anime. Just yeah. put up a sh- picture of Shara's novel, Lieutenant Commander. Yeah. And then put up a picture of Quattro Bagina. And it's like, that's 70s, that's 80s. Yes. That's all you need to know. Very clear. The fucking sleeveless vests are very popular. Oh, man. But no, it is. You're right. You talked earlier about how they clearly had, like, a budget behind them that they didn't have the first time. Yeah. This is a great looking show. It's it's especially with, like, the, the two OPs, the opening animations that play during the theme songs for Zeta are some of the most gorgeous, highly detailed yeah. opening themes I've seen for any anime show. Like, it's ridiculous. Any piece of animation they have, because the, the whole show looks great, but specifically those, like, the sort of big pieces of animation, like the OPs or the transformation sequences that are the parts that any show is going to put a lot of its, like, budget into, those for Zeta Gundam are, like, those hold up with anything today. Like, they, they look so good. Or, like, background art a lot yes, of the time. Yeah. There's an episode uh, near the end of the run where... Uh, I might be thinking even of the last one on Earth where they... It's the last launch off of Earth episode. There's five launch off of Earth episodes. Yes. And it's the one where they go back to the Argama. I forget what it's called, but it's in the 30s somewhere. And that one has all these, like, sunsets... And they're going over the sea, and because it's the last one, also with the Kudhalma, the, the the Kudhumla, however you say it, yeah. the, the Hayato ship, yes, and yeah. just like all of that, it's just like those are movie level backgrounds; those are not TV level backgrounds. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, um, but I also think just the general direction of the show is stellar. This is easily one of the best directed episode to episode anime I've ever seen. It I is agree. so consistent. It is so high quality. There are just routinely, even like. So there's one of my favorite episodes. I think it's called episode... It's episode 25, and I think it's called The Ghost of Zeon. Which 26. Is 26, okay. Yeah. It's pro- I have not seen the compilation movies. I would imagine this is one would be a fairly easy cut, because it's not a big plot episode. It is it is the introduction of Yazan to the crew of the Argama, because it's the first big fight they have with him. So it's important on that level. But mostly it's just, there's this ruined Zeon ship. They have a fight around it with Yazan. It is Emma... I think it's Emma. It's, it's Emma, Katz, and Camille versus Yasin. Yeah. And it is, again, not necessarily a big plot episode. I don't know if I've ever watching TV anime been that glued to the screen edge of my seat. Like, someone's going to die. No one winds up dying in that one, but like it is such a good tension. Like, sometimes horror, some of the stuff in the ship, action. And it is just, again, it's, it's not just the animation quality, but the level of direction and, and care given to it. And that is not necessarily the kind of episode that you would think would get it. Um, it just throughout episodes have this. And it's, yeah. it's really amazing. And, like, the fight choreography and how they do big mobile suit battles, very, very different than the original show. 
one of the most audacious stylistic things they do in this show, and you'll have to tell me if other mecha anime were doing this, but I think it's fascinating, is they 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 narrativize it through all of the cockpits now have 360 degree views. But what it allows them to do is that whenever you see a character in the cockpit, they're just in the space around mm-hmm. them. Yeah, no, that's a like Zeta Gundam thing. And obviously like other later Gundam shows do it as yeah. well. But that is a Zeta Gundam thing. And yeah, that is such a smart thing they did. Um, especially because it's one of those things that like makes it feel like technology has evolved. And uh-huh. so these are more advanced mobile suits. And so it's not just like... You know, sitting in this little tank thing with like, here's my main camera feed like up on this one screen. Yeah, they're like in this big sphere that is projecting a yeah, like it's a full spherical um, projection of everything around them. It's like and, one of those rides at the mall that does like VR stuff for you. Yeah, and you're just like sat on the seat in the middle, and so yeah, they're always against this like background of like stars and stuff, and it, it looks gorgeous and it's so cool. It's so cool. It does so much to situate the characters in their surroundings. It makes the battles dynamic in a lot of interesting ways. That I feel like stylistically is the breakthrough of Zeta Gundam. Yeah, because. It's it's genuinely audacious. I mean, like obviously, it actually makes total sense that they would have the technology to do that because it's it actually feels very prescient to me that you would have a wraparound video screen that could do that. That's yeah. not if you can build a mobile suit, you can build that. Yeah, and it feels like something they would eventually get to. But just making the jump that you're going to do that in the animation feels like a bigger jump than that the technology could do it. Yeah, you know? and then also it has a, a good story function where it means your cockpit is really big, and so you can have like grab someone and put them in your cockpit with you. And there's some good moments with that in the show as well. Absolutely. So that's all stylistic stuff I wanted to mention. And then uh, okay, you talk about the mechs. I agree that I think some. Uh, in general, I don't like the mech design in this show as much as the original. I do think, as you say, there's some that just get a little muddied for me. But there's a lot of really good ones. Oh, yes. No, there's, there's plenty of really cool ones. I like that Char just gets a big-ass fucking gold gun. Oh, the Shakushiki. Shakushiki. I love, I love, like, to me, it's like where Char... Because at the beginning, Char is piloting a red Rictius... Um, which is one of the reasons why, like, Camille sees that and is like, oh, it's like the Red Comet Char or whatever. Um, because he's a little bit of a one-year war fanboy um, and, like, knows about what happened. Uh, and so then, so it feels like that's kind of giving away the whole Char as Quattro Bugina thing. And so then he gets this fucking Kakashiki. He's like, well, I don't, I won't, don't want to make all my mobile suits red because eventually someone's going to find out that I am a Char. Um, and so instead, what will I do? I'm going to get in a big fucking bright, like plate gold mobile suit. That, it even has also the kanji for Hyaku and Shiki on each shoulder, yes. which is such a char move. Yeah. It's a very audacious looking, it like, it looks like he, it's like 2007 and he fucking pre-ordered his video game and he got the, the gold skin exactly. on his Shiki. <laughs> it's so good. It's great. I think, uh, in terms of just mass produced mobile suits in the series, the Rick Diaz is my favorite. Yeah. Um, the uh, this is interesting. I th- I like the the Zeta Gundam a lot. It's really cool. I love the transformation and all of that. It it suffers a little bit from the Gundam Mark II being such a good design. Yeah, the Gundam Mark II. I I'm on record as one of my favorite mobile suits. It's it's one. It's the second Gunpla I made. I made the original Gundam, then I made a Mark II in the AU colors 
Because you have both, you have the Black Gundam, yes. which is the Titans color one, which is the name of the first episode. And then once they get it, they're like, well, it's very ominous to have this like fascist looking Black Gundam. Let's make it look like a normal Gundam. It's definitely, it's either that or the 8th MS Team Gundams are my favorite Gundam design. Yeah, because they just sort of managed to take the core principles of the original Gundam design and then put all that extra detail into it. Um, they make it look a little bit less like heroic, and, and the so, color scheme is better. Yeah, the colors are are a lot more muted. So instead of it being this like bright kind of sky blue, it's like a much more muted navy blue, yeah. and it just looks fucking. And I good. do like that they keep it around for the whole series. Like I yes. love that Emma gets a Gundam. Like that's cool. That that it's not just the protagonist who gets to fly a Gundam. Yeah, this is like a thing that Zeta Gundam does. Because like so for like the Gundam franchise, I think is interesting. Of most of like the themes and character stuff. That Gundam shows do they kind of pull from the original show as Zeta Gundam does and like like by characters I mean like character archetypes but a lot of like the structure and the pacing and like the way that fights are filmed and stuff like that that's all stuff that they pull from Zeta Gundam so all those kinds of elements are things that they pull forward and one of the main ones that that Zeta Gundam starts is that for the first half of the show the the main character is piloting some like prototype kind of Gundam and then at the halfway point, they get the Gundam that the show is named for. So it's, so for like Double Zeta, Judo Ashta, the protagonist, is piloting the Zeta Gundam for the first like 19 episodes or something. And then they get the Double Zeta Gundam. And then that's his Gundam. And then someone else starts piloting the Zeta Gundam. And that's a really cool dynamic. Because then you end up having like, here's like the Gundam team. Like here's yeah. where you have like the Hakushiki and the Gundam Mark II and the Zeta Gundam all together. So you have... It's one thing I think it makes the fights feel more dynamic is because you don't just have, here's the Gundam gets to do a bunch of cool stuff. And then like in the original show, the gun cannon, the gun tank have some cool things they do, but mostly they kind of suck. In, in Zeta, it's like once you get to that end point, you, everyone has this really cool mobile suit they're fighting in. Absolutely. Uh, it's also a very good flag planting moment of like, this is a new show when I think it's like, it's by like episode three, you have Char in space piloting a Gundam is like, okay, we're in uncharted territory because yeah. that would have been unthinkable in the original, right? Mm-hmm. Like Char can't pilot a Gundam. He's on, he's from Xeon, but they really break down those walls. That's actually something really interesting they do with the mechs is that, and it's, it's one way where I think the designs suffer a little bit, but like the political and story side of the show is strengthened by this, is that no side has an identifiable Gundam style. Because yeah. obviously when they won the one-year war, the Federation just absorbed all of the Xeon technology. So they have, so, so the Titans are using Gundams and Zakus interchangeably. Yeah, and or they're, they're Hyzaks, which Hyzaks, are like yes. the new, new Zakus. Yeah. Right. So, which, which totally makes sense. And so then you can have like, a Gundam fighting a Gundam in in the early stuff, like with Jared versus uh, Camille, you have a lot yeah. of that, um, and that's really cool. And I think that's a, a good idea that they have there uh, as well. Another stylistic thing they do is they give a little more. Th- not that the original Gundam did not give plenty of thought to the physics of things, but this one adds even more where mobile suits have to be on planes to get around. And they yes, do a yeah. lot of really cool stuff with that. I think my favorite episode for it is the one where they go down to Jaburo and they're planning to invade Jaburo but then they find out there's a nuke there and there's so much good animation of like the because at that point he sells the Gundam Mark II of going around on the Gundam Mark II like go, skimming over like waterways and stuff and going around and everyone has to because that makes sense that the the, the the mobile suits themselves would not probably have the propulsion to get all the way around the way they do yeah which is like a thing that you see in the first show um, where, the, where Amuro comes up with this weird style to try to fight an Earth's gravity 
gravity where he's like jumping with the boosters and doing these like incredible Hulk style big jumps, but he can't really fly yeah. in Earth's gravity because it's not designed to. So yeah, and so and then by the time you get to Zeta, they have accounted for that by having these like yeah these like planes they basically like hop on top of and ride. Yes. Or some of them you have. About the halfway point when they introduce the Zeta Gundam, you have mobile suits that can transform between a mobile suit mode and a mobile armor mode where all their thrusters are pointed in one direction so it can just fly freely. Yes. What do you think about all the transformation stuff they start um, doing? Like, I wasn't super into it the first time I watched it because I was very much like, no, transforming mechs is that's not real robot stuff, that's super robot stuff. Um, on, on second viewing, I like it a lot more once I like know, cause I had no idea that Zeta was going to do that. Like in my head, yeah. Gundams didn't transform that stuff that other shows did. Um, going back to it, I think it's cool. I, I think it's I like cool. It. They yeah. do a, I think they could do a good job in the animation of showing it looks like it could actually do that. Yes. But they also don't make them like super long animations. They're actually very quick. Yeah. And so they keep it pretty tight. And I also just think it's cool. And it, because they do 20 episodes at the start... Because it's episode 21, A Sign of Zeta, where you meet the Zeta Gundam. You do 20 episodes of the the different mechs riding around on planes. So you get to know this style that when Camille gets the Zeta Gundam and can do that transformation, you have a real context for why that's necessary. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, this is cool. It's like, this is a clear necessity for your flagship suit to have. So I like it for that reason. Yeah, definitely. Staying on the physics thing, one of my favorite things that Zeta Gundam does, introduces that like a lot of the other UC Gundam shows still do, that I wish the Gundam franchise as a whole was more consistent about, because I think it's such a cool fucking idea, is that because of Minovsky particles blocking like long range like radio communications for Gundam for different mobile suits to be able to reliably communicate with one another they have to physically touch each other and make a hard physical link and then the pilots can communicate and that's super cool for two reasons one and this is like showcased off in like the very first episode when uh Char and his team are infiltrating Green Noah um, Pour one out for Opalie Chewy. Yeah, Opalie. That is yeah, sad. He's not even that much of a character, but he's around so long I, I got to love him. Yeah, it's like, oh, that he's just gone. Oh, yeah, so so he's leading his team in, and they like, it's like this fucking like Call of Duty scene or something where they all stack up on the entrance to the to the colony, and then like, you know, Apolly or whoever like puts their shoulder on Char's Rick Diaz, and then they like can communicate directly. And so that's just such a cool idea to account for that. And then also it allows like this like specific framework for when enemy pilots are fighting each other, when they come directly into contact with each other, they can actually communicate and hear the other person. And they do a lot of really good drama- dramatic stuff with that, particularly when with some of the characters like Sarah and Rekawa, like the, the, the lines between which, where their like, affections lie on which side gets blurred. There's a lot of good drama you get from that and providing this very clear like physical indicator for when these different pilots can communicate is a super effective decision that I love. I love that. I thought you were also going to shout out they do a lot with the different kinds of battle signals they have. Yes. So there's a lot of like firing uh, rockets into the air in a certain pattern and like that means you know stand by or this means cease fire or 
when you want to do a you know a parlay, you have the Gundam literally fly out with a giant white flag, yes. which is so fucking cool. I want to know who built the flag that is the size of the Gundam to put in its giant robot fist, because yes. that's an amazing idea. But it makes sense within the, the, the way they've set up the universe with the Minovsky particles. There's a lot of just very good like tactical thinking with that. Yeah. One other style point I want to make before we move on. Other than Thunderbolt which is a very special thing with how it uses music diegetically and has all the jazz stuff. I think Zeta Gundam might have my favorite soundtrack of the Gundams I've seen so far. It's really fucking good. It's hard to say. They're all amazing. As you've said, Gundam always has good music. There is something about... Zeta Gundam does a really good job straddling the line between... It obviously has a lot of music it reuses because it is a weekly anime. You have to do that. But there's a lot of music in the show. It's very varied in the kinds of environments you can use it there are no moments which i think happen a couple times in the original gundam most notably matilda's death scene has this problem where there's just not enough music for the number of scenarios you have and sometimes it feels like eh, that music didn't quite fit there yeah. you never have that in zeta gundam it's it's 80s as fuck but it is also very cinematic is the only way i can say it and it, it befits the epic sweeping tone of this as well as the more kind of somber sober political military kind of fiction they're doing here and i think it is i've listened to the soundtrack a lot while i've been watching the show because they're just pieces that kind of blow me away and i i really think in terms of just the overall impact music has on the show thunderbolt is number one for obvious reasons because it's about like the music they're playing but then in terms of ones that have just kind of hit me i think it's zeta gundam yeah it's it's there's a couple of songs in particular of one one of my favorites is it's one of the titans themes that usually plays around shiriko stuff that is just like this like really deep strings that play that's just like fucking oh shit yeah. fucking Shiro goes here F- fucking bad shit's about to happen um and then what is maybe my favorite piece of instrumental music in any Gundam show is a song called Conclusion which is an instrumental version of the second opening theme song um oh, which God. which solves like I think one of the problems you're indicating that the original Gundam had where you know like whether or not this is a like sad thing that someone's encountering because oh there here's like the tragedies of war in a big scale sense then we play the sad song or here's this character that we know and love who has just been like brutally killed in front of us and then they play the same sad song like you know you don't have you can't modulate those responses that the show is trying to give whereas zeta gundam and then double zeta uses that track a couple of times as well they only they only that song maybe plays a total of like five or six times in the entirety of uh, 97 episodes of animation between Zeta and Double Zeta um, and, and it's like when four dies they play that song and then at the very very end of the show is where it's like most notable that they play they do the full thing as the concluding like little montage yes and, and that track is so because it's like it's a beautiful song and then when you you make an instrumental version of it where you just kind of like up the sadness by like 110% um, which is basically what the instrumental version is it is it is heartbreaking every time I hear it yeah I want to talk about one going back to talking about like this is a sequel and kind of the political landscape they lay down yeah I want to get into all the character stuff I think that'll be our next big topic but I do want to talk about how incredibly relevant Zeta Gundam feels at this moment in time. Mm -hmm. 
uh, as an American viewer, but I also just think as a citizen of the world and, and kind of the trends towards fascism and right-wing extremism we're seeing and the kinds of fascism and right-wing wing extremism that is, in the year 2019, kind of increasingly drained of ideology, which is what the Titans are about. Yeah. Like, the Zeons, as fucked up especially as Gira and Zabi made things... There was a belief system behind the Zeons at a certain point. Yeah. You know, and there is a genuine argument to be made, especially when we start to see how fucked up the Federation is, for space noid independence. Yeah. Like, Zeon under the Zabi family goes about it the absolute wrong way. But the Zeon people, and I think leaders like Shar, have a really good point to make. Yeah. The Titans are just. In it for the sake of power. It is power for the sake of power. And most importantly, and I think this is something they nail, that is, especially looking at it in the year 1985 when it was made to today, is really prescient, is cruelty for the sake of cruelty. Yeah. Because that is something the Titans do over and over again. They try to drop a colony on Granada. Is there a tactical reason for that? Kind of. But over or over, it's just they want to show their power. They try to gas colonies. We see them do it three times, and one time they do it, and Rekoa is responsible for it, and it's horrible. Yeah. But and the, like, why are they gassing the colonies? Is there any tactical reason for that? No, it is just so people know the Titans are powerful. And I look at that today in a landscape where you have, you know, we are just openly torturing children on the border. Is there any tactical political reason for that that the United States gets out of that? Absolutely not. Is the Trump administration wanting people to know that they are cruel and willing to be cruel? And it is cruelty for the sake of cruelty. Is there any reason to ban transgender troops from the military? Absolutely not. It is actually it is harmful to the cause of the American military. But it shows that you are cruel and can wield your power in cruel ways. Yeah. And I think the way they display the Titans as a, as a force of fascistic cruelty, drained of any kind of fascistic ideology, is... Really prescient to the moment we live in now. And just with like the news that has gone on in the two weeks I was watching Zeta Gundam, it just rang true over and over again. Yeah, and specifically that that fascism rises out of what is... What you know from having watched the original Mobile Suit Gundam, and especially with some of the additional stuff they put in in the movies, what is a like corrupting democracy. Like yeah. a, a, a democracy that is undergoing this like process of severe corruption where it's clear that like the people that are in power in the earth federation are not very good people they're one they're like incompetent and two they are manipulative and they're they're not like they're not trying to do things for the sake of the good of the world they're trying to do things for the good of themselves um and so in that scenario the titans being born out of that makes so much sense and you have stuff like um, I think Jared is a really interesting character in that context of where he is, you know, if you transplant him into like the modern American setting, he is so the embodiment of like white male privilege. He is the guy who just fails upwards. That he's like, he's a probably better than average mobile suit pilot, but he's not great. He's n he's fucking not Char. He's not Cam Camille. He's not Amuro. He's not fucking Haman Karn. He's not Shiriko. He's not like, I'm one of the best people out here doing this. He's like, I'm a little bit better than the random grunt. They keep on throwing mobile suits at me that are like better than the mobile suits that my fucking enemies have most of the time. And he usually gets his ass kicked and he gets the people around him killed. Um, because The women around him yeah, specifically. Mostly the women around him killed because he's so incompetent. And yet 
he is the system just keeps on pushing him higher and higher and higher. And I think one of the best things that Zeta Gundam does is Jared doesn't even get a big eventful death. Like he's and he is in you know he's effectively the char of the show at least in the sense of he is the the rival ace which is like the broad sort of um character archetype you would you that char kind of is in in the original show that every Gundam show has at least one if not a couple rival ace characters that are the other like you know rival mobile suit pilots that are really good and Jared is such an interesting character in that archetype because he's not actually that good and so when it comes to here's the final battle he just gets off and it's not even that important he's not there for like the big final confrontation he's dead well before you know it's down to Camille Char and then uh, Paptimus and Haman like he's, yeah. he's he cannot exist in that world because he's not that good and that's how like the Titans work is that it's not really about your competence. It's about your willingness to be a bad person and work your way up through that system. And they'll just keep on pushing you up whether you succeed or not. And the political machinations of all this where you see the Earth Federation and then also some specific examples like the side two guy who just wants to surrender to the Titans of how easily democracies win given just this slight pressure yeah. are just willing to topple themselves to avoid the, the problems. And it's part of why I think the episode where... Char goes down to Earth and gives the big speech. Um, I forget what that episode is uh, called. Day of Dakar. Day of Dakar, which is one of the best episodes of Gundam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's phenomenal in so many ways. But part of it is that like it's it's a fulfillment of Char's character arc up to this point. But it's also like someone finally stepping in and saying, "No, we don't have to live this way." Like 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 let's think about this. Is also just a very powerful moment in I think our moment in time where I think a lot of people are really just ready to roll over and take it, and it's like fuck no, stop. Yeah, and while Zeta doesn't get super into the like environmentalist stuff, like that's something that Victory Gun does a lot more of. Like it is there also uh-huh. of part of what is Char's motivation, and like the AU's motivation is that you know this is this is a point like a point in human history where the earth has been so polluted that it is on the verge of also like partially because of like the excessive pollution that happened during the one year war that the urge is on or the earth is on the verge of environmental collapse and i like char's speeches about how like humanity is just clinging to earth and destroying it and we now have the capacity to be better and to do better things. We have the technology. We, we have like, the organization. We can fix these problems and we choose not to um, for selfish, stupid reasons. And like the people who have the access to the power to fix these problems are not doing anything. And it's the people that don't have power that suffer from that. And that is like just literally what is happening now. You know? And this yes. is a show that came out in 1985. And, and again, it doesn't hammer on that as much as some a couple of like later Gundam shows like Victory Gundam, where like Victory Gundam goes so far as to be like point out that the mobile suits are powered by nuclear reactors. So every time a mobile suit explodes on Earth, that means it's causing huge amounts of nuclear pollution. And so if you are a good guy, you cannot blow up a mobile suit on Earth. And if you're a bad guy that just wants like the Earth to get fucked because you're the space people, you're like, let's just blow up every mobile suit we can to pollute the Earth as much as possible. Like that's one of the dynamics of Victory Gundam. Um, so Zeta Gundam doesn't go lean that hard into it, but it is a prominent element through some of those sections of the show that I really like. Absolutely, really, really fascinating. So let's talk some characters. Let's talk the new characters first, okay. because 
the old characters include Char, and that's probably going to be the biggest conversation we have today. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because Char is the best Gundam character. Fucking hell. He's, he's very good. At least of the ones I've seen so far. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll get to that later. Let's talk about the new characters. Let's just start with Camille. Because yes. I Camille is one of the things that amazes me most about this show. Because mm-hmm. I think he is every inch the character Amuro is. Just very different. Yeah. Like in terms of supporting a show and pushing this thing forward and being a rich viewpoint for us. That they were able to repeat that hat trick is amazing to me. Because in general, I will say, I don't think the Zeta Gundam specific cast is as interesting to me as the Mobile Suit Gundam specific cast. There's a lot of great characters in Zeta Gundam that I would put on par, but the overall scope of it I wouldn't. And that's okay. It's it's in part because it's using so many of the original characters. That's kind of inevitable. Yeah, and then also the sprawl of Zeta means yeah. that like it doesn't. You know, like Emma does not get as much screen time as like Mirai or Fravo or Sela does because they you have like you have Emma and Fa and Rekua and then like all the other characters that are on the other side that you're developing yes. like Sarah as well. And so there's. So many more characters, you just can't focus on any individual yeah. one as much. Yeah, less a complaint than just an observation of, yeah. of fact. But Camille, I, I think, is a is an absolute match while also being completely different than Amaro. And I think the evolution Camille goes on from being severely troubled at the beginning of the show. Like, this kid is fucked up. Like, he... Yeah. He steals a goddamn mobile suit just to put, like, the scare in a dude who pissed him off at the police precinct. Yeah. That's how this one starts. Like, Amuro is relatively well-adjusted at the beginning of Mobile Suit Gundam. Like, he's clearly had some problems. Both of his parents weren't around. He's been kind of abandoned by his dad who overworks. But he's he's okay. Like, I think if there was no war, Amuro would grow up okay he might have to go to therapy but like a little weird like he's you know he's got like some kind of like depression you know he's not eating like those things are there but i agree with you like he would he would i think grow up to be a normal like fully functioning member of society yes camille without the intervention of this i don't think would i think he would end up in jail or something yeah he'd be dead at like 18 because he picked the fight with the wrong guy who just stabbed him in an alley yeah he is just he is kind of anger personified at the beginning and slowly you see him evolve into one of the most mature people on the series. Yeah. Like he is able to call some of the adults on things that they can't see, including Char at multiple points. Like he is, there's a great line he has at the end of, I think it's the kill. It's no, it's when four dies where he says, yeah. I will never call you Lieutenant Quattro again. You are Shara's novel and you need to take that responsibility. And that is what kicks him in the ass and starts the day of Dakar episode, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. And there are moments like that that Camille has. And, and he is, such a good like member of like the military establishment by the end like he's very good at not just receiving orders but acting upon them suggesting things to command like he is involved in tactical stuff with bright more than amuro ever got to be yeah. like he is a better soldier than i think amuro ever became amuro is a great pilot because he's got these crazy new type powers and he's thrown into the scenario and it's just it's nuts right yeah but amuro never really feels like a soldier it doesn't feel like a calling for him amuro doesn't have the motivation to do it like he's only in that scenario because he had no choice yeah 
Whereas, whereas Camille develops this, and it, it's actually one of those cases where clearly the military is a good thing for Camille because that level of structure befits him. It's like if the kind of troubled kid you send off to military academy and they might actually flourish there. Yeah. I think Camille is that kind of kid. And if it weren't for the absolute fucking heartbreak of the final few episodes, he'd have a pretty bright future in this world, I think, actually. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's, he's really fascinating to me on that level. No, yeah, he's he's an amazing character, and like, and shout out to Nobuo Tobita, who is his voice actor. So um, good, yeah, because because one thing is just like Camille's voice is so unique. Like it is, it is again, like it is like uh, Tori Furia's performance of Amuro, where like you, he sounds like a kid. Mm-hmm. Like he really sort of captures that part of it, but also like you know Camille is such an interesting character because I think he starts out a little bit unlikable on purpose because of just how aggressive he is and he's so angry and especially in like those first two episodes of where he just gets upset when someone like makes fun of his name because his name sounds feminine um, and like on first blush you're like that's weird and then you realize well that's not it at all like he doesn't he doesn't that's like he doesn't actually care about that it's that his dad is a fucking cheating scumbag son of his bitch his mom is never home probably because his dad is a cheating scumbag son of a bitch and his mom um works really hard but it's like he has such a troubled home life and then he also like he's the kind of person who just can't like let injustice slide when he sees something bad happen and so he's just constantly throwing himself in and like the camille thing in episode one that jared does that that he doesn't Jared doesn't even say like Camille senses it with his new type stuff um, that triggers Camille not really because it, anything with his name it's just the sense of these fascist motherfuckers are out here like disrespecting normal people like I'm not going to stand for that and like and that's kind of what sets him off and it's one of those things I love about Camille as a protagonist is near the beginning that he that anger is so flailing and he just sort of shoots that anger at basically anybody in front of him whether it's jared whether it's it's quattro tire or quattro Bajina, or it's fucking fa who he's always kind of yelling at in the early parts of the show he just doesn't know how to control or focus that anger and then over the course of the story he slowly kind of comes under control of himself and learns like i can't just sort of shoot off at the handle and any small thing like he becomes really proactive about really trying to make significant changes and he's very active about that and that's where like one of the main themes of the show and and one of the things that Camille sort of brings to the forefront is that generational difference between the people who fought in the one-year war like Amaro and Char and Bright and Camille who grew up in the aftermath and saw how they didn't fix any of the problems they were fighting against like they did not stop fascism from taking root it's just different people became the fascists and they didn't stand up to prevent that from happening. And Camille sees that. And that's why he's like always kind of pushing against the adults in the way that the adults in the series have done things. Because he sees how their generation has failed his generation. And that is another one of those things that in 2019 feels like a very like relevant thing in our political moment as well. Yeah, I... I think what makes the tragedy at the end of Gun- Zeta Gundam hit ultimately so hard to me there's a lot of different factors yeah but one of them is that camille getting wrecked the way he is mentally at the end is a tragedy because he has become the kind of person this world needs yeah long term he like amuro amuro does have a valid argument i think of like i did my fucking time in the war and i did more than enough fighting and i won this thing and i never even signed up for it fuck you guys yeah there's a there's a there's a validity to that 
But like, but that's the thing is that Amuro was never kind of built to be this long term. I think Camille by the end kind of is, whether as a soldier or maybe he could become a politician, uh, you know, a la what Shar starts doing in the second half. He is the best of these people at the end of this show. Yeah, he is absolutely the best of them, and he is the one who has to take it all on and basically give up his mind to do it. And at the end, the tragedy of Fa bringing his you know broken body back to the ship. And them sailing away and having won the war, but lost everything effectively symbolic. Because I think losing Camille's mind is is losing effectively. Yeah. Is what makes it hit so hard. And I think a big part of that, to help transition our discussion, is that it's Camille's relationship with women that solidifies a lot of this for me. Yeah. Because almost every new character, character who is new to Zeta, is a woman. Yeah. You have a couple of significant men. You have a couple people in, you know, like, you know, like you, Lieutenant Apolly, and yeah. you have Captain Henkin and, and people like that. Or on the other side, you have Jared and Paptimus and people like that. But there are so many women in this show. I just tried to list all the significant women you meet on Zeta Gundam. Yeah. Emma Sheen, Reko Alande, Fayuiri, Four Murasami, Sarah Zabiarov, which, mwah, love yep. that name. Uh, Mauer Pharaoh, another mwah. You have Lila and Seidel, who are kind of smaller. You have Ham and Karn. I'm probably forgetting some. You have Rosa Mia. Like, there are so many that come into play. And in some parts, they kind of blur together, but they become actually, I think, actively more specific as the show goes along. And the show ends with a battle between one man, Poptimus Shiroko, who we very clearly see has been using and abusing women to his own ends. Yeah. Another very relevant 2019 uh-huh. character is Shiroko. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you have Camille, who I think his growth has been defined by how he has come to see and treat and relate to women. Yeah. And that being the final battle. It's an avatar with two men, obviously, which has its own issues in, in some sense. But that's a very powerful image. And it is two competing visions of masculinity. And it is one that includes femininity in its heart, literally, when you are a new type, bringing the spirits of your deceased female friends into your heart. And it is one who has been using them as human shields. And I think that is one of the most fascinating things about this show. Yeah, no, it's it's and it's one of the things where um, on the the main weekly stuff podcast I talked about how I recently rewatched through Neon Genesis Evangelion and had some uh, let's say issues with the way with some of the stuff that Eva does, and it's something that knowing that we we're doing Zeta, like I was thinking about both of these things and in, in relationship to one another, because Eva I think ultimately just treats its. Particularly when you get, if you watch End of Evangelion, it just treats its female characters like utter garbage. And it's like, and it feels like an actively misogynistic um, thing by the time you get to the end. It's frustrating because at early parts, it does some cool stuff with its female characters. But part of the things is it ends up reducing all of its female characters to the same kind of like psychosexual traumas, which is where a lot of the Freud stuff comes in in that show. Um, and so it kind of feels like it flattens out all these cool female characters into sort of the same vague, like, female, like, psychic trauma thing. Um, and the problem with that is that even if you have a lot of female characters, they all are kind of, like, flawed in kind of the exact same way that presents this thing that makes it feel like this is Evangelion's, like, view on women and femininity because all the female characters fall into a couple of these very similar traps around sex and, like, relationship to, like, their fathers and stuff like that. And one thing that's amazing about Zeta is Zeta has a lot of female characters but it never like 
I, I, so it does a little bit with like the cyber new type women of like showing how those these women are being created and manipulated and abused by the systems they exist in. So like, you know, four and Sarah and Rosamia all kind of get put in like a similar block uh, block with like Lala and from from the first show and kind of show how we have been like this system has been creating and abusing women in this yeah. way but it's, it's very that, conscious it's a yeah. part of the text and it's very conscious and it's a part of the text and i think one of the reasons why it works is because you also have fa who is not a part of that at all and and you in you know some of the fa stuff there's a little bit of like stereotypical feminist stuff with her of like the, she's not a great pilot and they're constantly telling her like fa like you're not cut out for this but it's fine for zeta to do that with fa because you also have emma who is an amazing pilot, is as good as anybody who, and doesn't give a shit about, like, she's not pining after some guy. Like, she doesn't, you know, Henkin is constantly, like, making, like, cute little, like, hey, you want to go out? You want to have dinner kinds of things? And she just very kind of politely puts him down and says, like, no, like, I'm not really interested in relationships every single time. Um, And the way that the show is able to have, like, so many different kinds of female characters makes it feel like Zeta never reduces the women into one thing. It also there's there's kind of an ideological diversity because it also does not just present women as a as an unalloyed good or in the case of like the original you have mostly the good women and then you have like a Kaisilia Zabi who we love Kaisilia Zabi but she is the stereotypical like cold yeah you know shut down like spy figure you know you have a lot of variation in this so you have like like Rekawa is one of the most fascinating characters yeah. in the show who fully switches allegiances and there's some weird psychic manipulation going on there but that alone is like. Very worthwhile to showing the different sides of this conflict. Or all the women who come through Jared's life. Um, mostly it's Mawar and Lila are the two for yeah. him. And they are unambiguously better pilots than him. Absolutely, yes. Better people, better pilots, better tacticians, all of this. And they keep dying for this piece of utter garbage shit douchebag. And like that, that is also very interesting. So it's this really big tapestry with women... Uh, that I think the show does a fascinating, fascinating job with and and very strong work with. And I think watching the transformation of Camille from when he starts being like really jealous and protective of Fa being a pilot to at the end, like they're effectively in a relationship and he's a pretty good boyfriend. Yeah. You know? And it's in like the stuff with he, he has that like kind of fling with four after his first like stay on earth in Neo Hong Kong. It's, then, that's the turning point for him. Yeah, and and he comes back to space, and it's like one of like the best, like most interesting scenes is the episode where he comes back to space and he sees Fa again for the first time because she comes and gives him the Zeta Gundam, and they're back on the Argama, and he just kind of comes up and hugs her in this very kind of like romantic sexual way. Um, and you as the and Fa doesn't quite know what's going on. You as the viewer know that he is. Using and that moment, he's using her as a replacement for four because yeah. he misses that kind of intimacy he had with her, and so he's still. And that's where like you can kind of see he like there would be a potential for him going down some sort of Shiriko type path of using women in the way that Shiriko uses women, especially with Camille's potential as a new type and him being able to kind of manipulate people emotionally that way. But he turns away from that path, and it's like, and it's yeah, it is his journey of like his complicated relationships with women early on, like partially also like, I think, you know, a lot of his, the mom stuff and him seeing his mom die, which is a huge turning point for him at the beginning of the show. Um, to then by the time you get to the end where like the way he treats, this is where I think like the Rosamia bottom stuff that the first time I watched it, I didn't like so much because I thought it was too much of a repeat of four. 
on my second viewing, I realized that, oh, the reason why they're doing this is to juxtapose how much better Camille is at being able to handle this situation um, than he was with Four, where he, he was so wrapped up in Four in a way that was so unhealthy the first time they were together, that this time around he's, like, not trying to use Rosamia for, like, to satisfy his own needs. He's, like, actively trying to help her as a person and try to help her get better and, like, work with her as a partner. And that's where, like, you see so much of that growth in that section of the story. Absolutely. Let's talk about the cyber new types. Okay, yeah. Kyokan Ningen. Because they're a really fascinating element. I think the four material in this show is some of my favorite Gundam stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my favorite stretches of Zeta is that the stretch on Neo Hong Kong with Amuro, Camille, and Four. Um, the little brief time when you go back to Four, and then all the stuff at the end are, I think, like the most potent sections of the show. Yeah, I mean, my, my favorite episode might be episode 20, where they get um, Camille off of Earth finally and get yeah. him back into space. Because he's had two chances to get off Earth at that point. Yeah, that's hasn't. where they like steal the pod that the Titans have on that ship, right? And he like yeah. launches out the side of it. That's very it's, cool. It's so good. But it's also, there's a bunch of really good Force stuff in that episode, including the scene that full-on... And I didn't even know why. I couldn't articulate what it was that did it to me. Where he is in the cockpit with four. And he's at her knees. And he kind of lowers his head. And she says, do you still hate that name? Do you hate your name, Camille? And he says, no, like I'm trying not to. I was, I'm tearing up trying to talk about it. And I don't even know what weird power it has. But there is the, what is going on between them is so rich and weird and interesting. And then that episode also is the climax of everything with Amuro. Amuro does come back a little bit later. But yeah. effectively, like especially with his relationship with Camille, this is the climax of that. That Amuro fulfills his mission, gets Camille off of Earth. Camille has to say goodbye to Four. Four sacrifices herself for all Camille knows she's dead. We see that she lives. All of that. It's, it's beautiful. It's fascinating. And then they do wind up later on kind of running through it again with Rosamia. And I will say, the first couple of Rosamia episodes was my lowest point of being like, I don't know what Zeta Gundam is doing right now. I had plenty of faith from other Gundam stuff to like stick it through. Yeah. And I was rewarded with one of my other favorite episodes of Gundam, which is The Mirror of Rosamia. Or yeah. in Japanese, it's Rosamia no Nakade, which is basically just inside Rosamia, right? Yeah. Which I think is actually the better title. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway... I, I think the way both of those episodes in particular and those two characters represent the new type stuff in this show, I was astonished how good the new type stuff is in this show. Yeah. Because I was really worried that if you then had... If the, so, original Gundam only has those last five episodes dealing heavy with the new type stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, if we have 50 episodes with a new type, who knows he's a new type protagonist? Are they going to overdo it? Are they going to do it poorly? Or blah, blah, blah. No. And the answer is... How do you keep the new type stuff interesting? You keep it fucking weird. Yeah. That's what you do. They keep it weird, but I also think they go to kind of greater emotional depths. Like, clearly taking their cues from the Cosmic Glow episode and everything with Amuro and Lala. Yeah. But also with characters who, because they get to do it earlier in the show, are so much more unsettled in who they are as people. You know? Yeah. Like, Camille, when he has that first transference with Four, why it is the turning point for him is it's the first time he is with someone who he feels like understands him. And it's, it's like going to therapy or something. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly powerful stuff. And I think the way they keep going with it. And then I also love that they don't ever over-explain things. So like the Mirror of Rosa Mia episode, my whole kind of working theory on what's going on there, because he keeps seeing four in her, 
is that clearly whatever process they use to create these enhanced humans, there's pieces of them in each other. And I mean, she's called four for a reason. Yes. Like, I mean, because that's part of her character. She doesn't know what her name is. Like yeah. the, the, the factory that basically makes the enhanced uh-huh. humans or the cyber new types, they're not treating them like people. Right. And so when I mean that they bring that sense of Sean, as you said, all these characters who are in the mold of Lala and kind of collapse into each other, they literally bring it into the taps because they are yeah. collapsing into each other in his eyes because the horror of what they've done to these people is that on that deep, spiritual, new type connection, they are melding into one another and they have no identity. And that is when he has to like put down Rosamia at the end of that episode. The horror of that is he's doing it to four again yeah. because they're all kind of inside each other. I, I just I know I'm kind of rambling at this point, but there's so much rich, beautiful stuff there. And I do think the Rosamia stuff, I think her first episode or two gets a little too weirdly sexual in some ways. Right, yeah. Not that Camille ever is like reciprocating it, and that's actually one of the signs of his character growth, is that he really is trying to be her older brother, even though he's not. That's the role he's trying to play because he knows she needs it. Um, I think they go a little too far with that in, in some places with like her being like the little girl, and it just creeps me out a little bit. But I think overall they do it beautifully and especially with Lala being such a great character, trying to create other characters in that mold is so hard. But it's also part of the genius of Zeta is that they're not Lala. Because yeah. they're not... They're, they're the artificial new types. They're people who've been experimented on. It's so fucked up. Yeah. And then I think they do a good job of... Like, the, the similarities to a lot of the Lala Soon stuff is... Like brought into the text, like in, in one of the best episodes, Forever 4, which is the one where 4 dies... Um, that has some of like I think that's like one of the most like well shot like interesting mm-hmm. like visually episodes of Zeta Gundam and that's where you have like this really great sequence where um, like Camille is you know basically incapacitated within his the Zeta Gundam because he's so distraught with it and uh, the the Hyakushiki and uh, Amuro's like Dejay or whatever it's called his his new mobile suit both pick up the Zeta Gundam under each arm and lift it up and Amuro and Char have this brief exchange basically talking about how they have let it happen again yeah. and that's that's where some of those themes of like they like Amuro and Char failed to create a world where the trauma that happened to them would not happen to another person that they couldn't stop it happening again and that's where Again, that's like one of the, a series of conversations in that episode that happens that pushes Char to the point where he decides he needs to take full action, um, and and so that kind of the sort of that whole stretch is yeah. so good, and just yeah, the rhyming of with the the stuff from the original show and the the taking up of the the ideas around Lala and the new types and the connection between them, um, they they know how to handle that without it feeling like it's a repeat. It's them iterating on those ideas. Yeah. Are there any other of the new characters you want to point out while we're talking about them? Because, um, like, Haman Karn, really interesting, but I assume we'll ha- talk a lot more about her in Double Zeta. I mean, yeah, because she's so... So she is the main villain of, of Double Zeta. Like, so, because the Zeta Gundam is the, the, the Grips conflict, which is the, you know, and it ends with the, the defeat of the Titans, who are not really a factor much in Double Zeta, because they're mostly gone. They get and, blown up by a space laser. Yes. Um, and so Double Zeta is about the rise of the Neo-Zeon, and it's the, the first Neo-Zeon conflict in Haman Karn taking over and so yeah she's not in Zeta as much I do just want to shout out my beautiful space queen Haman Karn because she's evil as shit I know she's evil I would fucking follow that lady to the ends of the earth because she is so fucking cool 
Like she's a great character. Yeah. I'm not saying we'll skip over her because she's not great. I just in the interest of time, but like yeah, but, yeah. I just just Haman Karn because she feels like she's like what Giran Zabi always wanted to be. Whereas like Giran like wishes he was super charismatic and like people would really want to follow him. Um, but everyone just kind of hates him and distrusts him really. Whereas like Haman Karn, he's just like fucking hell yeah lady you're so rad and she's got the fucking cubile which is one of the all-time great mobile suit designs it's so different and just like elegant looking um she's got her like big fanned out purple hair she doesn't take shit from nobody they don't care if it's fucking char or pacmus whoever she will fuck you up Juan Karn is fucking super cool um and and yeah we'll, we'll talk about more of her talk more about her when we do Double Zeta stuff, but she is very fucking cool. I assume we'll talk more about Yazan as well because he, I know he's in Double Zeta. Yes, yeah. Um, there's, there's some really smart things they do if you watch really closely the final episodes of Zeta Gundam. They're so good about just hiding like in individual frames. If they want a character to be alive later, you do see his little pod eject. You could very easily miss it. Yeah. But they're so precise about it because effectively he is dead at the end of the series because we don't know what happened to him. But, like, you, you can see the little Easter egg that it's going. And same with Char. Like, I went, like, almost frame by frame through the scene where Char, his last, con, like, battle with Haman. Because, like, how he shoots the thing, how the debris starts falling, where he is under the debris before the explosion goes off. They're very careful to give, you, give themselves an out on how he could have survived that. Yeah. They're really smart about that. But Yazan is a great villain in that he is just pure evil douchebaggery. And yeah. he's got a great voice, too. Yes, no, he's the the voice actor, uh, Hotu Otsuka, who is also the voice actor for uh, Jiraiya from Naruto. But it's a much, he obviously he was much younger when he did this, so I'm, I'm, it's always fun to hear him. He's like, oh, this is a voice actor I know much better from like the mid to late 2000s. And he kills cats. He kills cats. And, like, and one of the things I think that's best about Yazan is that he is not a new type. Like, yeah. he's just really fucking good. Like, yes. He's just this, like... Just absolutely amoral, vicious motherfucker. He's genuinely scary. Like that's yeah. that that episode I mentioned earlier, the ghost of Zeon, that he's he's like the the main villain of that one. He's genuinely imposing in a way that Gundam villains generally are not, in some cases because they're very heavily humanized, like a Ram Baral or a Shar or something. Yeah. He is just a force of fury and evil. Yeah, like like Yazan, it's like because it, especially it's fun to have Yazan and Jared kind of juxtaposed because like, I mean, Jared's... Jared prob- wants to be Yazan. Yeah, like, Jared's probably a better person than Yazan. Like, Yazan, like you said, he's just a frightening person. But it's like, but you can you can respect something about how, like, capable Yazan is. It's like, Jared's just a little fucking piece of shit. Yazan knows what he is, also. Yes. Jared, yeah. Jared doesn't know what the fuck he is. I also want to shout out Basque Ohm, the, like, general of the forces. Because, A, he has a great name. B, he has a great character design. And C, he is voiced... By one of my favorite voice yep. actors of all time, Daisuke Gori. Am I right on that? Yes, yes, yeah. you are. Um, and he is in. He's in every anime. He's in everything. He's uh-huh. the guy with the really deep voice. My favorite roles of him are in Dragon Ball because he is the voice of Mister Satan, and he is also. He's a bunch of characters in there. It's actually there's a fun little Easter egg. It's not an Easter egg. It's just something I noticed that you could pull out. Um, he is the voice in Dragon Ball of. Um, and Madayo, the guy who like gives who who passes judgment on people when they come to heaven, and very famously they spell welcome on the side on the sign in Dragon Ball incorrectly. It's W E L L come. Yes, welcome. Yeah. There's a Basque Ohm episode where they also misspelled the sign as welcome, and it's both Daisuke Gordon like. 
what the hell? That's that's not an Easter egg, but it's awesome. Yes. Anyway. It's just it's just the aura he yes. you know emanates. It's, you got to misspell welcome. I love Basco. Yes, he's he's a good bad because he's just got like the, like the weird like glasses. He's so he's a good, good bad guy. Yeah. Anyone else before we move on to some of our returning favorites? Um, we talked a little. Do you have anything else you want to say about Shirko? Um, Shirko's interesting. I he's not the most dynamic Gundam villain character to me. He more like I think he has symbolic potence more than he is like an interesting character, but he does have a lot of symbolic potence. The way, really, the way to talk about him is, I feel like, through Rekoa, because yeah. they have this brief encounter. He clearly plants some kind of seed in her, and it grows to the point where she abandons the AUG, goes with him to the point of gassing a colony, and really through her, we see what he does to women. And he's he's a scary dude in that way. Yeah. It, it, there's, cause I think Paphimus is a character I liked even more on my second viewing. Because I think when you know how, because I because I don't think the show doesn't necessarily like see that he is going to be the ultimate antagonist yeah. by the end. Um, like they don't they don't like kind of like plant that flag in his first couple of appearances. But it is that like the subtle way in which he just sort of like weasels into like the the hierarchy of the Titans and like ultimately you know he betrays like Jamatov Hyman and takes over basically the way he manipulates everybody, particularly women, but like also. You know, that's one of the interesting things is his him with Yazan, where like Yazan basically allows himself to be manipulated because he is so easy to manipulate that it's like Patrimus can just be completely like bald faced about it, and Yazan's not going to care because he's not that like intellectually minded. Um, but yeah, there's something about this weird motherfucker that came from Jupiter because weird shit have like weird people come from Jupiter. Um, and him just like slowly worming his way through until before you even realize that he is the main threat of the show. That's like one of those things that on my second viewing worked on me a lot harder than my, my first time through. He also has the best death of this side of Kaecilia Zabi. Oh my god. <laughs> Fucking yeah, the wave rider bursting through the O. Also just great mobile suit, the O. Um, bursting through it, impaling fucking Paphimus in his own cockpit, as and he's fucking coughing blood from his mouth as he curses Camille with his last breath. Fucking amazing. Go through that animation frame by frame because it is genuinely some of the best TV animation you will ever see. They put so much detail into him getting impaled and dying. Yeah, it's good. They yeah they get a good death for him. Oh my god! All right, let's talk about our returning favorites. There's so many to talk about here. Let's go yeah. with some of the smaller ones first. Okay. That uh, Fraubo has officially adopted Kika Cats and Let's yep. with Hayato, which is hinted at a little bit in the show. There's that great moment near the end of the Battle of Solomon where they're together in the infirmary, and yeah. she says, Hayato, I think I think Amuro isn't like us anymore, which I think is symbolically when she kind of drops the torch for Amuro. Yeah. And, and then I, there's that moment right before the Battle of Abaoku where... He, Amaro and Frabo have a short conversation and Amaro goes to leave and then Haido comes up from the elevator, leaves and is like, hey, I'm just going to talk to Frabo for a second. They start flirting in the corner. Yeah. Yeah, where it's like, oh shit, yep, Amaro has anything like with that relationship is basically gone for him. But I like that they're married. I yeah. like Hayato. I like Frau. I like that they adopted the war orphans because that's just sweet. Yeah. Even though what they do to one of them is not sweet. Yeah. Um, and, and I think where both of them are is really interesting. So Frau... Frau is the one who's pregnant, right? Yes. Yes. So she and Hayato are having a kid of their own, and they're 
you know, I'm not sure it's clear what Frau is doing other than raising the kids, but she is like on Earth. Hayato's on Earth too, but Hayato yeah. has a cool space museum where they've got all the old Gundam suits, and he uh, pilots the big ship, the Kuhumbla or whatever they call it. Yeah, and and he helps obviously a lot with the Karaba is the group he's with. Yeah, Karaba, who's yeah, they're like the Earth-based faction of the AU. Yeah. Yes, uh, and I just think they're they're a cool power couple. And I really love... I, I love that that's where they, they went as people. Yeah, and that the, the scene... Because it's basically the first big scene you get with Amuro. The scene where, where Frabo mm-hmm. visits Amuro on his like weird prison estate. Yeah. Um, is really good. And the way that like she's clearly trying to push him a little bit. But is also like aware of the boundaries in their relationship. And is not like doesn't want to overstep them and that's where like cats kind of yeah. comes in and is like no motherfucker you're Amuro Ray you're the, the Gundam ace you're the fucking like the hero of the battle of Abawaku like you go out there and do shit and and I and like the hesitance that Fraubo has to broach those lines like it's one of those things where it's very smart about how they extrapolate where their relationship was at the end of Mobile Suit Gundam where they're still friends but they're not there's 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 not the sense of like deep intimacy between the two of them. You yeah, know? like Amuro clearly will go on on a limb for her as he does here because she's Frau Bo. Yeah, but uh, like if anyone was going to get him back into action, I think he would do it for her because he fucking owes her. Yeah, <laughs> for all the emotional labor she did yeah. in the original series for him. But yes, Hayato, I also have to say, has one of the best character redesigns. Hayato becomes so badass between Mosi Gundam and Zeta Gundam. It's great. It's great. I mean, he also, he, he looks like a dad at that point, you know. Yeah. But also, he just, I love that he is commanding that ship. And he's doing so much cool, like, kind of spy shit with, with Karaba. And he's got that cool museum. I, I love He's got Hayato. his sick fucking, like, Lately. leather flight jacket. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Like, Hayato just got super fucking cool. He got super cool. Speaking of people who got super cool, Kai Shiden, uh-huh. not in this a ton, but when he comes in and he it's his first scene is disarming all those guys who it's uh, Rekoa. Yeah, point. yeah, Rekoa has landed at Jaburo. Yes, yeah. and, and he is a, like, adventurous journalist who is out there helping. I, He's like how, wearing a white suit and a white hat. Oh it's my so god. Good. How, Sean, they have made a billion OVAs. How have they not done the Kai Shiden journalist OVA where he's going around like breaking stories on earth I so desperately want it like yeah because you only get a little bit of him in Zeta but he's so cool and then he does with like a very iconic thing where he he the last time you see him he leaves behind a letter for Hayato with all of his suspicions um in English and when Hayato reads it, you can see the text. And it's just, I have the text. Let me find it. Okay, yeah. Because it just says, he is a char. It's so good. Let me see if it's it's here somewhere. Because I definitely took a screenshot of yeah. that. Um, but yeah, Kai. I also realized on this watching, because I, I looked it up, but then I also kind of was able to hear a little more. You know, Kai is the same voice as Piccolo in Dragon Ball Z. Yes. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. That dude yeah. has range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does not sound like Piccolo no. at all. It's not like, you know, Captain Bright, you can basically tell that that's Tenshin Han. Yeah. You can tell that Amuro is Yamcha. Okay. Yeah. I have the letter. So it's something, many years have passed since I saw you last, question mark. How's your wife, all caps, Frau Ba, it's B-A-W, and kids? <laughs> They share should be happy with you. I wish I were you. Captain Quattro, he is a char. <laughs> he should be becoming the leader. Is satisfied with being mere soldier. I really don't like his attitude of Eska being from reality. So I don't want to be with him. I am going to gather the information. Yeah, and then and then the screenshot you took has the... what. 
uh, Hayato says in quotations, which is, Lieutenant Quattro is likely Shara's novel. Which is not what that, I mean, that, that's the gist of what that letter is saying. Captain Quattro, he, he is, is a Shar. He is a Shar, and Shar is in capital letters. That sounds like the same kind of writing from the beginning of Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> he is a Shar. That's so good. Oh my god. But I love Kai. Kai's got a great redesign. Then you've got uh, Mirai and Captain Bright. Yes. And they got married, which is a little more obvious than the Frau Bohayato Yeah, they, they clearly had a thing going on yes. yeah, for Miss Gundam. And they have had two kids of their own. Uh, they clearly yeah. are also a power couple. With, with their kids, Hathaway, Hathaway Noah, who, who will come up in a, a movie in the near future, Hathaway's Flash. Yes. Which movie also, trilogy. Yes. And Hath because Hathaway is the most, like you could so see Bright coming up with it's like the most naval name you could possibly give someone. But Hathaway, but the even better name is the girl is named Chaming. Chaming Noah. That's so good. But I love that Bright and Mirai actually don't have any scenes together in the series, but I yeah. do love that they that they got married, that they had kids. Mirai has some really good scenes. I love I actually love Bright's role in this whole series. He because he has grown up to become the guy we all like knew he could be in Mobile Suit Gundam. Because yeah. I said this watching the original series. Bright Noah was a man clearly born to lead. Like yeah. He's a born leader. It just came about a little too early for him. And so he had a little bit of um, growing pains in his role as captain on the original series. Even though he ultimately did great work and is one of the heroes of the One Year War. He's a really damn good captain in this show. Yeah, and, and he obviously doesn't have like a huge amount of character development or anything. Like He feels like he's a, a person who's been fully baked yes. by the time he pops up on the show. But yeah, he's... He gets a lot of great little human moments, though. Like when he very quietly asks Char as, as Lieutenant Quattro, like, hey, my family is down in Jaburo, I think. I'm going to show you a map where I think they are. And it's also a really nice humanizing moment where you see how far Char has come where, like, Char's like, of course, absolutely, I will find your family, you know? Yeah. Like, he and Bright was his enemy, but they are totally working together. It's like, it's like the respect that they both have for each other because, like, you know, like, Char spent the entire time of the first show chasing after the white base and yes. so it's the guy who was the captain of that ship like he's got mad respect for that dude and and it shows how mature both of them are that they put that at, they that never comes in they, they yeah. never bicker over that bright is doing his job um a lot of great stuff with bright they also in zeta gundam start doing something that like consciously that i think is really smart which is bright is a funny character mm -hmm. yeah i don't think that is a conscious part of the original gundam but i think you look back at Gunnaman and it's like, oh, there are funny things about Bright. In a straight man kind of way, he yes. can be very funny. And I think they start leaning into it. Not that they make him comic, but I think one of the best Bright moments in Zeta Gundam and where you know they are in on the joke now is in an early episode where he says, he's talking, he's like, where's Emma? Emma needs to come to the deck. And they're like, something, something. And he's like, well, tell her to come up here for a correction. And then he slaps his hand. Yeah. That is one of the, like, uh, reading about it, I now know that's like an iconic Captain Bright moment. Yeah. But like that to me kind of sets the tone of that, like, in his sort of, he's such a, like, strong authority figure, and for good reason, because he's always piloting a crew full of fucking kids. Yes, yeah, he, it's, and this is, if you like that element, I think you'll really like him in Double Zeta as well, yeah. because it is this, like, motherfucker, like, these goddamn new type kids stealing these fucking Gundams. Yeah. It's like, goddamn it, just listen to what I'm, just like, 
How many times do I have to slap you motherfuckers before you understand this is a goddamn war? I know. But uh, it's something I know they've carried through with the character because I'm reading the Gundam The Origin manga. And how they have recast Bright's character in that manga is one of the best parts about it. Because they flesh him out a lot more. And they really lean into the fact that he is basically this kid thrust into this giant leadership position. And they do a lot of very, again... He is never a character who makes a joke. He is not a character who laughs at himself. But we, there are things about him that are funny. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting evolution of the character through Gundam. But I, I love that Bright is there. And, man, he's, he's, he's been the sole survivor of a lot of bad shit. He's good at what he fucking does, man. Yeah. Like, yeah he, There's moments, like, also I love that he kind of tries to take Char under his wing as a leader. It's a, it's a small, subtle thing in the final episodes... Like they don't draw attention to it, but he is clearly trying to encourage Shar to think like a leader, not like a soldier. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is he recurringly tells him, like Shar will be like, oh, "I'm going to go out in the Hyakushiki," and he's like, "No, stay on the bridge." And they don't even they don't have to he doesn't have to say it, but Quattro is kind of like, ah, "You're right, you're right," which is that you can't go die. We need you. Like there's a continuity of leadership that needs to happen there. Like Bright isn't a coward for not going out in a mobile suit. It's because that's not his fucking job. Yeah. If Bright died. They're all fucked. He needs to be there. Quattro is kind of in the same position, and one of the many interesting things they do with Char is I don't think Char ever fully learns that lesson. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, now let's talk about the big two. Mm-hmm. Amaro and Char. I, good God, they do so many good things with both of them. Amaro is a little easierly, easier to digest because he's in fewer episodes. Yeah. But I love, and I love how they use Amaro, which is basically there is the Amaro arc, which is like episodes roughly 10 to 20 is like the Amaro section yeah. of the show. And then he is there briefly for the second big events on Earth. Yeah, because he's, he, you know, his arc is basically to get back into action, become one of the leading figures for Karba, then like lead the offensive of, offensives on Earth. So when you meet him up again, he has fully occupied that role, which is yes, very cool. Absolutely. And I love what they do with him. It's. A fairly dark character arc in that we find out he has been basically imprisoned for the last seven years. Yeah. Um, on a very nice estate. It's not like they threw him in a cell or anything, but he is not supposed to be out there. And one of the things I love about both Amaro and Char, particularly when they're on screen together in Zeta Gundam, yeah. is that they have had seven years to stew in all of this, and there's a shame that they both feel when they are in each other's presence that I think is so adult and interesting and not at all how I would have expected that reunion to go and speaks to how smart Gundam is as a franchise which is that it doesn't feel like they harbor any hate for each other anymore I think they harbor a lot of shame for each of their own roles I think they both know that they probably should have worked together more I Shar has more faults than Amuro <laughs> yes. let's be very fucking clear but like there's something to that. Like, uh, Shari, uh, Amaro even at one point tries to tell Camille when Camille is like fed up with Quattro in one moment. He says, deep down, I actually think he's a very kind person. And I think that's a powerful moment. Yeah. And, and Shar, you know, talking to him about like Lala's spirit and why he came back to the Earth sphere and all these things. There's just, their scenes together are so powerful, culminating in a moment near the end of the show where it's, it's Amaro's last episode of the show, I think it's episode 38, where, um, 
they're going off again, and and Shar says, "You've changed a lot, Amuro." And Amuro says, "You're the one who changed me." And I'm like, mm-hmm. "Lovers forever, yeah, best friends a- forever." Put that on my wall. I want it as a poster. It's where tear goes down your cheek. It's like, oh my god, Amuro. Like every scene that Amuro and Shar have together in the entire franchise is just the best stuff. Uh huh. It's anytime you can put those two guys into the same like they're the two people in the same room together and have them have a conversation is some of the best stuff. Because they, and I think in this show especially, you feel the passage of time alive in these two people. Yeah. And one of the big thematic connections they make for them is that they are part of a generation and and a part of this world that kind of went to sleep after the one-year war. They use that as an analogy a lot of like, Amuro needs to wake up, he needs to stir again, Shar is the same way. And I think there's a real sadness and melancholy and elegaic quality to a lot of Amuro's scenes in that he is this guy who achieved these incredible heights and has been kind of symbolically dozing since then and he has to kind of wake up and stir again to who he is and Shar is the same way Shar seems more active to us because he's out on the front lines as a soldier but he's still running away from what he should actually be doing absolutely and I think that arc for both of them through the show and the way they are paired even when Amuro is not on screen because Amuro is a pretty constant presence symbolically before we meet him in the show and after he's gone from the show yeah basically anytime Shar because Shar is like a low level new type like he's which I think is a commentary. Like, not to say, I, I don't think that's because he's like genetically inferior. I think that's because of who he is as a person. It's like he clearly has new type potential, but he's so closed off yeah. that he's he has a hard time really sort of getting in tune with it. So anytime he gets any kind of new type buzz, whether that's from Camille or Pactimus or fucking whoever, he's always like, is that Amuro Ray? Or like, sometimes he'll be, be like Lala, but usually it's like, I think Amuro Ray is on that colony. It's like, you clearly are very fixated. Like, Amuro has sat on your mind a lot in these seven years. And part of that is also because whenever Shuichi Ikeda says the name Amuro Reida, it's easy. He says that, he makes a meal out of that name every fucking time. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, anytime you can get him to say Amuro is very good. It's so good. Um, but yeah, I, I think Toru Furia does a great job modulating that performance for an older, kind of sadder Amuro. I think the overall arc of him kind of waking up again, and never, like, he never starts piloting a mobile suit like we saw him do in the original. Yeah, they, they, they're they smart to, like, never, like, indulge in, because there's definitely the sense of, like, especially, like, if, if, when you kind of come back to him of, like, Amuro's probably, like, really fucking shit up. But he's not the main character of this yes. show. You're not. They, they don't ever indulge in showing him just like way laced, lay waste to like a dozen mobile suits. Exactly. Uh, but I do. I, I think that arc is really. It's poignant. It's special that it is viewed through the eyes of Camille is important because it's kind of at the beginning a don't meet your heroes arc. Yes. And yeah. then I love that Amuro's ultimate arc of heroism is it's not going back into space. It's not claiming the glory for himself. It is getting this kid off the planet so that they, the AUG in space can have hope. Yeah. And I love that. And I, that's part of why that episode 20 is, is maybe my favorite of Zeta Gundam is how perfectly it intersects um, those arcs together. Yeah. And it's just, I think the... The choice of doing this with Amuro is so interesting to me because it, it is because it, it, it I think it picks up on the more subtle things from the conclusion of Mobile Suit Gundam. It doesn't take the like and Amuro connected with all of his friends again and got to go home and everything and he lived happily ever after and he's friends with everybody. Like that's not that at all. Like he, you know, the, he clearly he did find something to live for. He is still living his life even if it's you know he's asleep, quote unquote. 
but he, you know, all the things of the way he has distanced himself himself from so many people in the concluding episodes of Mobile Suit Gundam, like, that's the Amuro that continues in the future. Yeah. It's, the, like, the normal Amuro, not the Amuro who's, like, elated that he managed to survive and get back to his friends in that the, those last seconds of Mobile Suit Gundam. And so they, they pick up on those threads of, like, Amuro is not all together. Like, he, he is a traumatized, hurt broken person in so many ways it's like he has had seven years to sit with all the shit he did in the one year war and then also i think like the sense of that the world did not really congratulate him for everything he did like obviously like on the surface he is famous like people know who he is but the earth federation is afraid of him like oh they they fucked him over pretty yeah like they don't the, the Earth Federation does not want Amro to be out there. They want him to be, like, a pretty bird in a cage. And, and, and he will, like, you know, makes, like, a trip to the Air Force Base. And, like, is used as a propaganda tool by his, like, armed guard butler, you know. But he, they, they put him on that estate and want him to stay there. And, I mean, one of the mistakes that Amro makes is to let that happen to him. Um, even if, again, like, as you said earlier, it's... It's, it's easy to see where Amuro is coming from. And it's hard like to blame him too hard for the path he chose to take. But I think it's just... It's the kind of thing of... Um, I've talked about this before on the podcast. We mentioned it a little bit earlier in this one. Of I think about the sequel Star Wars movies and Zeta Gundam in comparison a lot. Because I think there's some interesting similarities and differences. And one of the things that I think is really interesting is... I feel like Luke's arc in The Last Jedi and Amuro's arc in Zeta are very similar in a lot of ways. Actually speaks to why Luke is one of the better done characters in the ones. But I think one thing that... And I think one of the reasons why people rejected The Last Jedi... And I think there's a little bit of like an onboarding issue is that... Luke I don't think is set up to be... Like because Luke Skywalker and Amuro Rey are two super different characters. Very true. Very, very different and it's like the Luke in Last Jedi is a really fascinating character, great performance, best part of that movie. But it is also, I can see why people rejected him. Whereas I don't know of anybody who is like, how did that happen to Amuro? Like, why is this the Amuro? Like, how come Amuro isn't a big hero? The way everyone's like, why would Luke Skywalker end up as this like weird old dude in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. It makes perfect sense that Amuro Ray after the one year war would get like, especially if, like for the couple of like outside influences we hear about would get sort of shuffled off to the side and he would allow himself to be sidelined in this weird mansion and, and not go outside you know yeah. I do love the episode where he kind of starts waking up and he's at the airport with Frau and her kids and takes cats and they steal a plane mm-hmm. he's a great like opening salvo for Amaro, which means we should probably talk about cats uh huh I kind of don't want to because it hurts but uh, they do a great job with cats, even yeah. if it is a absolutely tragic ending, and and it speaks to what a fucking sociopath Yoshiyuki Tomino is. Uh-huh. That he would take that little kid and kill him. Cats is really, I think, what one of the things that, that happens with cats that makes Zeta Gundam so brilliant is that he kind of becomes a third generation in the show. Yeah, because you have. The first half of the show, Camille has multiple role models. He has Lieutenant Quattro and he has Amaro Ray. But then he doesn't really need a role model in the second half. Like, he and Char in the second half are on much more equal footing. Like, and yeah, Char after treats he's, him that way. Yeah, after he's met Amaro and gone through that arc and he goes back into space. Yeah, he, he has, like, he, the first half, the first, like, section of the show, the first, like, ten episodes is him being mentored by Quattro slash Char. The next ten episodes are him being mentored by Amaro. And once he's gone through that process, he realizes... 
he doesn't yeah. he doesn't need those mentor figures anymore. He is on even footing with them. One of my favorite episodes is is it's uh it's I think it's called Reco is Shadow, yes. which is where they the last episode where they get off of space or out, out of off of Earth and back into space. There are five different get off of Earth episodes in Zeta Gundam, and all five of them are fucking great. Yep. which is crazy. But that one might be my favorite because it's them in a shuttle and they know that the Argama is under assault and they have to get there. And they've got the Hyakushiki and the Zeta Gundam and they just start dumping shit out of the shuttle and oh, it's. It's, but it's what it's so cool is it's Char and uh, uh, Camille working as totally equal partners to to get this mission done. And at the end, Bright is like, oh, awesome work, Camille. And I think it's the first time I've ever seen Bright be like that outwardly praising of one of the heroes of Gundam. Yeah, nobody got slapped that day. Nobody got sla- Nobody needed a correction. So you have a lot of that. But what happens in the second half is that because he no longer needs role models, he becomes that role model figure to Cats. Who never learns the lessons. Yeah. Katz feels like he's like a failed Gundam protagonist. Which is what's so fascinating. Yeah. He's the, he's, he's the traumatized kid who gets in the mobile suit before he's ready, but, but never kind of makes it all the way through his arc. He never... Yeah. He never... Because he, he... Like, his relationship with Sarah is a mirror, mirror of Amro and Lala slash Camille in 4. Um, and he never quite fully makes it. Like, he never... He never kind of learns all the lessons he needs to learn to be able yeah. to survive the way that Amaro and Camille did. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. He doesn't, no. Is there... Just just tell me a quick yes or no up down. Is there a crueler death to come in Gundam? Oh, man. I mean, there's... <laughs> I mean, there are, like, more fucked up deaths in terms of, like, within that specific show, the way it's built up, the way it's shot. Yeah. Like, again... If you ever watch Victory Gundam, go in ready to be traumatized because that show is just fucked up. Like because that show is like the deaths of Zeta Gundam, but spread out like Mobile Suit Gundam. So it's just like fucking crazy how many people die in that show. Well, now like, a lot of it is brutal. I've got it ready to go. So yeah, but Cat is the one that feels like because because you have this relationship with him from the first show, and he's so young. And, and, and you constantly, like, are waiting for him to make that turn and become more of a hero. And he never quite makes it. Like, in many ways, I think his is the, one of the ones that definitely hits the hardest. The, and it is, it's, it's not just because he is a little kid, but that it is so fucking rare in any kind of war fiction for us to have known a character as a toddler and then watch them grow up into the point where they can fight and then die... And of course, every person who has ever died in a war was a toddler once. Yeah. But do we usually get to see that in war fiction? No. And I think that's part of what makes it just hit so, so hard. And I think is one of the thematic centerpieces of Zeta. Yeah. But let's talk about what y'all came here for. Quattro Bagina. Motherfucking Char's novel. Castval Rim Daikun. The man of many names. Edward Mass. We always forget Edward Mass, but Edward Mass is a great name. Yes, I mean that's one that is only ever said in the origin. So, yes. so, so I, I forget about it sometimes. But yes, but I mean it's it's in it. It belongs in the pantheon of Char's crazy names. Yes. So, yeah, man. Um, I am so fascinated by and impressed with what they do with Char, which I think in many ways is one of the boldest things they do in Gun- Zeta Gundam. Yeah, which is take our super flamboyant. Very entertaining, borderline sociopathic villain from the original Gundam show. Make him the mentor figure of the new show. The de facto adult lead of the show. 
um, have Shuichi Ikeda giving a very different performance as Char. Yeah. Very different character design this time around. Very different role in the narrative. And yet it is such a well-drawn, immaculately observed character development seminar in many ways. Like, yeah. this is a masterwork in character development of where they bring Char. And I also think most of the interesting themes in Zeta Gundam pass through Quattro Bagina at one point or another. Yes. No, he is... It, and it is... Again, it's one of those things of, like... It, it seems obvious when you see it done with Zeta Gundam, but it's such a, a fascinating choice to say, yeah, no, let's take Char and bring him in and make him... Because because by the time he got to the end of Mobile Suit Gundam, he is sort of a good guy. Like you, you realize that like he does he's done a lot of bad shit, but you can you can imagine the story of Mobile Suit Gundam, especially if you don't know about the really evil shit he did in the origin. Yes. But of just the original TV show, you can very easily see that story told from his perspective, and he's a Hamlet esque hero. Um and so and so they sort of take from that and say, Well, we can have him be a heroic character. We can have him be one of the protagonists of our show because particularly early on he is basically a co-protagonist yeah like those first couple of episodes it's probably like about even the screen time that Camille and Char have Camille on the inside of the space colony and Char coming in and infiltrating it with his team um and then as, obviously as the show goes on it focuses solely on Camille with with Char and Amaro and other people coming in and out of his life but that choice of having him be there as this mentor figure and just slowly build up these pieces of his of of you don't get the specifics of like the events that have happened to him, but like the the journey he has gone on in the intervening seven years to go from the man driven by revenge and some sort of cause to take up what his father had left behind and to meet him again, having ass- assumed a totally different identity as a lieutenant in some weird organization that is just he has decided he's given up and decided to become a soldier. And because it's the thing he knows how to do, it's the thing he is better at than almost anybody else. And so he has decided, fuck it. Like, I'm going to pick the best cause I see, and I'm going to be a soldier in that cause. And that is as far as it's going to go. Is such an interesting place to take our, like, big, like, tragic revenge prince, you know? It absolutely is. And I think, I thought back to a lot in the first half of Zeta Gundam... The scene he has in the movie version of his scene with Kaecilia Zabi, yeah, where Kaecilia says, "I know your, sh- I know who you are. You're, you're uh, Castle Rem Daiku." And in the TV show, that's a different scene. But in the movie, what happens there is he says, "She says, but I feel like I can trust you. I feel like you're more on our side now." And he says, "Well, I did kill Garma." <laughs> And, and Kaisi does not care that much because she's a heartless bitch. Yeah. Um, but he says, I did, but, you know, it didn't, it didn't bring me a lot. And we know he's half lying because he very much enjoyed it in the moment. Oh, very much so. But I do think there's a real truth about long term. Like, I think he enjoyed the hell out of killing Garma. I think he enjoyed the fucking hell out of killing Kaecilia. We just cut away before we heard the evil laugh. Because yeah. you know he did an evil laugh. Oh, absolutely. But I do think after that... When Zeon has fallen, the politics are changing, your role in that conflict was not as the leader you could have been, but as the guy doing revenge for fairly petty... Not pe- I mean, he had pretty profound reasons for wanting that, but I think we could all agree he could have gone around about fighting Zeon in a much more noble and straightforward way. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do that. Who is he now? And he's asking himself that through the entire series, and just turning Shar into such a sober... 
Again, fairly elegaic character. He's very straightforward. He's doing good things. He's being a good soldier. He's saving lives. He's very noble in this series. You see that Char knows how to have a sense of nobility. Like, I think it is important. Char can be sociopathic. He is not a sociopath. He can feel human emotions and he knows the difference between right and wrong. He just often, in other contexts, chooses to ignore that, you know? Mm -hmm. And seeing that evolution and where he is pushed to in the second half of the show of taking a leadership role is, is beautiful and it is fulfilling and it is so cool. And then the final stretch is he doesn't really fully embrace it. And he, is, he ends the series literally adrift and broken in space. Yeah. And I will just say, I have not seen Char's counterattack. I do know the plot setup of it because it's like the back of the box description, which is yeah. that he's leading Zeon again and he is going to try to. He's trying to force everyone off of Earth to become new types, right? That's basically, basically yes. it. Yeah. yeah, he's going to. Yeah, he wants everybody to leave the Earth. It's like yeah. the extremist version of what he's advocating for in the Day yes. of the Car speech. And what's fascinating to me is that. For a lot of Zeta Gundam, because I, I did know that's what Char's counterattack was about, and for a lot of Zeta Gundam, I'm like, how the fuck do they get him from this point to that point? Especially yeah, how do he, you go from him being a villain to a hero to back to a villain again? Especially when I know he's not in Double Zeta. Yeah. And then I'm like, and, and that uh, just increasingly as the show, as Zeta was running out of episodes, I'm like, we're almost out of Char. Where do we get there? And to me, what it is is like, there's this real sense of, again, this character who is aimless, who doesn't fully want to wake up and embrace his leadership potential, in part because I think there's a part of him who knows what he is like when he unleashes himself. And that he is not a person who does half measures. He is not a person who goes halfway. He is not someone who does politics. Yeah. He is Shara's novel. And if he lets himself be that, big things, be they good or bad, are going to happen. And to me, where one of the things that is so powerful about the ending is that I can just feel him... Adrift in space, almost dead, having been unambiguously defeated by Haman. He loses that fight. Yep. And like, seen most of the people that he's fought alongside die. die. At some point, he finds and, out what happened to Camille. Yeah, and I think he is in that, he is floating through space in that Hyakushiki saying, Fuck this shit. Mm -hmm. I'm back, motherfuckers, and I'm gonna do I'm gonna do what none of you will do, and I'm gonna fix this shit. And I think that is fascinating in that the arc they have Shar on. Both makes him more noble, but also sets him on a, the path to probably be the most destructive version of himself yeah. if you let him be. Just, again, knowing the back-of-the-box description of Char's counterattack and that they have to fight him again. Yeah, he's going um, to counterattack. Yes. Uh, I love that. I think it is one of the most fascinating character arcs I have ever seen. And along the way, you get some of the best Char scenes. And again, Shuichi Ikeda, man, uh, he gets... he. I'm going to put him up on... Like, the shelf below, but up near the top of the shelf where I put uh, Goku and the performance of Goku in Dragon yeah. Ball Z. Um, uh, of, like, that's, to me, the best vocal performance of all time. But I might put Shuichi Ikeda, like, gets the silver medal for me. It's, <laughs> it's so good. So good, yeah. And it's just that that sense of, like, Char... Like, Char and everybody around Char knows what is the best thing for him to do. They all know that, like... You have so much value as a political figure. You could solve so many problems. But as you said, like, he... That Char... Like, one... Like, he has that really interesting moment when he is, like, finally decided um, mm -hmm. to, to do it. And to, like, to give the speech and reveal himself. And to kind of shed the Quattro Bajina 
name and he sort of just turns to someone and says i mean this means i'm giving up my freedom like this means that like it's a form of him sort of killing himself uh and and it's like from his perspective it's this big sacrifice of he is because i think like i think it's something interesting of where char is constantly playing a role around so many people and like for him to become the political figure is for him to reveal himself as Caspal Rim Daikun. Yeah. Like who he actually is. And he has to be honest in like a weird way. Like he has to be expose himself in a way that he has never had to do before. And that's like, that feels like the thing he's most afraid of more than anything else. Like he's fine with getting shot down in a big mobile suit battle. Like I don't think he's afraid of dying in, in a fight like that. But he's afraid of being like exposed in any real way. And so he's so reluctant to do the Dakar thing. He does do it and he does it really well, but there's but he, there's always the sense of like, he doesn't want to be here. Like he doesn't want to be doing that. He wants to be out in the fight. He wants to go like kill people and risk his life and like feel the adrenaline and feel the rush and to be like the Red Comet who's, who's you know, nobody can touch. He doesn't want to be Castle Rim Daikun, yeah. son of Zianzum Daikun. Like, and... and you being used as this political pawn, even if that is the thing that's going to change the world, he doesn't care about it that much. Not really. And I think what makes it such a great characterization and performance and piece of writing is that I think you're along with him every step of the way. Yeah. There's no point where you don't feel what he's feeling and you don't feel the validity of it, right? Same with Amuro, where we said, like, it's not like we're going to, like, Amuro's done something horrible. I get why Amuro is the way he is. Yeah. Um, same with Shar here. And, you know, I will say, watching the end of Zeta Gundam, uh, why I can say my thoughts on where I feel like Char is at the end of the show is because I'm kind of there too. <laughs> and if I just skipped Ed Char's counterattack, I might be on Char's side, given everything I, mean, I just fucking saw. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, we'll have that discussion, obviously, in the future, but that yes. is not an uncommon, like, Char, Char was right. Like, or yeah. at least, like... Get that as a bumper sticker. There are, there are things about, like, Char is not totally in the wrong, ever. Like yeah. in this series, like yeah. there there are things that you don't agree with him about, um, or like how far he takes some things, but he is never purely a villain, and that's true in that movie as well. Should we talk about the centerpiece Char scene of Zeta Gundam? Yes. What is, in my opinion, the best Char scene ever? The scene that, like, especially on my second watch through, literally like sent chills down my spine because I'm like, this is the fucking. Most the truest piece of dialogue anybody has ever written for any character ever. Yes, yeah, so there's the episode where they meet with Haman for the first time, and they are so they go onto their ship and they're trying to figure out who are these Axis Zeon people. Shar clearly has a relationship with all these because Minova remembers him. Yep. Well, to, well, well, sort of like mean like it's clear that the, he spent time with Minova, but when she was too young to really remember him, yeah. so she has been told to act that way towards him. Yes. Uh, and he bears a lot, bears a very big grudge against Taman, who also hates him. There is no love lost between these two people. Yeah. And anyway, in the second half of that episode, they are trying to escape the compound because he just goes off on it. It's it's, it's so interesting because it's the first time Char in Zeta Gundam loses his cool, which is like you put me in front of a zombie and Haman Karn. Who? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's like him being confronted with. And that's where it's like, so there's a manga series I have not read called Shards Deleted Affair that tells the story of what happened um, with him on Axis and like Haman 
Um, I'm probably going to get around to reading that at some point. I want to read curious. it so badly. It has no English translation, but fuck it, I will learn Japanese just to read that goddamn manga. Yeah. Or learn enough. I... <laughs> I know, you know, I can I can read it. I just don't always know what it's saying. Yeah, exactly. The great thing about manga is it's got furigana on everything. Yeah, so you, you can look it up and yeah. Yeah, but that's a it's a huge manga series. It's fourteen volumes. Yeah, and it's basically him after. And I think it's a it's it sounds like it starts with him doing kind of like Gundam Seven Samurai, where he's like defending like these people on ecstasy on like basically his people, like trying to just like do the right thing for them. It kind of grows. Haman enters the picture. They have a relationship. She feels betrayed by him. Not a sexual relationship, just like a mentor thing that kind of breaks down. It sounds like a really cool story. And honestly, please, guys, Shuichi Ikeda is 69 years old. Make an OVA of that before we lose him. Yes. Yeah. I I definitely want to, like, while we're in this, like, 40th anniversary moment of, like, going and, like, doing adaptations of, like, The Origin and Hathaway's Flash and a lot of that stuff. Like, yeah, get... Get a lot of the original crew in to do some of these stories. But yeah, so I don't know like all the specifics of what, like, because I'm with you, like, I only yeah. know that, like, the big picture of what the Shards right. of Affair covers. But there's so, there's like that section of Zeta Gundam is so evocative. And that manga came out well after Zeta Gundam yes. was a thing. So, so Zeta Gundam was made without that, any of that kind of thing in mind. And there's just a sense of clearly Char, he went back to Axis after the end of Mobile Suit Gundam. And tried to be some kind of leader. He went back to these people and, and tried to, to, to live up to that reputation or, or whatever it is. And he couldn't do it. He failed at that. And he left and came back to the Earth sphere at some point. And I, I like really love how evocative it is in Zeta Gundam of him like immediately being confronted with that again. Finding out how fucked things got as soon as he left that Mineva... Who, like, despite Char being someone who hates the zombies, clearly he doesn't care. Like, he's not an idiot. He knows that Maneva was a baby. Like, yeah. he, he doesn't have any, like, poor will I, towards her. Or, like, it seems like he cares about her. I think he would like to help her. I think he's really pissed that Haman is using her this yeah, way. Yeah, that, like, he, he has known her since he, when she was a small child, like a baby. Um, it's not I, the name zombie that pisses him off. It's what they did and who they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it's clearly, like, he... Wanted to help raise Mineva into like a better leader or like a figurehead or something that could like unify Zeon and, and take care of her. And instead, when he left, Haman took power because Haman is fucking cool and charismatic, and she's going to take power if there's a vacuum there for her. It's again, all, Zeta Gundam is all about the vacuums these people have left. Yeah, and and she has she's basically like the Cardinal Richelieu of the Axis forces and has installed Mineva as a puppet, um, but she's the real power behind the throne. Which is another thing of where, like, if you're listening to this podcast and you listen to our Game of Thrones podcast and you're wondering, why is Sean so unimpressed by a lot of the stuff that Game of Thrones did? It's because Zeta Gundam does half that shit way better. Um, And it's like that dynamic in him just being so clearly confronted with what must have been just a massive failure for him of living up to that potential he had as the son of Zeons and Daikun. Um, and, and then completely going off the handle yes. in a way you never see him do before that in Zeta Gundam or after that in Zeta Gundam. Like, it yeah. is that moment where he's like, he completely loses it and just goes to try to assassinate Haman, even though the whole point of why they are there is to get Haman on their side so that they can work with Axis to defeat the Titans because they want to choose the lesser of two evils or what they think is the lesser of two evils. And there's some really great material with him later where they really do need Axis to destroy the space laser that the, yeah. I like to like calling it a space laser. Yeah, but 
the colony laser. Colony laser. Space laser's better. But the colony laser that Grips has created on Grips 2, uh, and he, him having to like bow down to her and all this, there's this great scene at the end of that episode where he is sitting on a bench, and he's just got his head in his hands, and Camille tries to like go like see what's going on, and Fa's like, not right now. And you can just tell how utterly conflicted he is. But in between those, you yeah. get him trying to kill Haman, and he, she calls him out on, like, you traitor. And he says the words... I have never even once betrayed anyone, Haman. And it is the most... And it's the... It's the venom with, with Shuichi Ikeda. And, like, the sheer confidence in venom with which he says that line. Because I would say, like, this line is a little bit of a meme in the English Gundam community. Because if you, like, look this, try to look this line up on YouTube, it is, like, very hard to find Japanese voice versions of it. Which is very frustrating because it's one of my favorite scenes. But it's because the English dub of Zeta, which I have seen almost none of, like I cannot vouch to his quality. My files didn't even have it, and I was happy not to. Have it. Yeah, and so the but the the English voice actor for Quattro slash Char in that moment gives a very like generic standard reading of that line, where if you just say Haman Karn, I have never betrayed anybody in my life, of course someone immediately is going to go make the fucking clip on YouTube that then immediately cuts to him laughing in Garma's face and blowing Cassilia's head off and like all the times that Char like and, and those are old YouTube clips those YouTube clips are like seven years old if you did it now with the origin also you could make like a ten minute fucking short film about all the time Char has betrayed somebody um because Char is a well known turncoat yeah because if you you just play that line in a very generic like I have never betrayed anybody Haman Karn way you're like you motherfucker, like you, that's, that's like on your business card is Shara's novel professional traitor. Like, that's what you do. <laughs> but, like, that's not what he's saying. When Shichi Keita says it, it's like this realization of, oh my god, this is a guy who has never considered himself to have been on anybody's side. He, he can't ever betray someone. Because he has never trusted anybody in his entire fucking life. He, it is Shara's novel. He is on his own team. It is him against the world. Like, it, 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 you know, him and the zombies is not Rekoa. Rekoa betrayed the AU. She believed in what they did. She, like, worked with them. She was earnest about a lot of that. And then her, like, connection to Paptimus ended up turning her. And she ended up joining the Titans. That's not what Shar did. Shar never believed in the zombies. He never believed in the Zeon military. He's never believed in any of that shit. He, all he has ever been out for is himself in his own, like, sick revenge desires in that first war. And then once that's all fulfilled, he doesn't quite know what to do. Because a man who is on his own, one, can never be a true new type. He, can never, he is not capable of opening up his heart to someone or a cause enough to be in touch with things the way that Camille is. And then two, he can never be the leader that people want him to be because he cannot, yeah, he cannot trust anybody. You said it's the venom in Ikeda's voice. It's also the conviction. Yeah. To him, that is a true statement. Yeah. And again, it is not because he is a sociopath or a pathological liar, although he has those qualities. He can be soci- you know, sociopathic. He can yeah. be a liarist. <laughs> I don't know how you say that. But... It is so true to him in that moment in his life. And, uh, yeah, what I wrote on Twitter when I saw that scene... Because I Sean, I'd, like, pause it there and just sit with that for a moment. Yeah. Because it, it was like, oh, my God, that rings so true. Wait, he all that stole that trade... Betraying he did... 
but no, he's right. It's so terrifying that he's right. Yeah. And what I wrote is, that's the Rosetta Stone of understanding Shara's novel. Absolutely. And I think when you say it's the best Shara scene, I'm too deep in the weeds right now to say what's the best, but I think it is maybe the one that cuts deepest to the core of him. Because it's a tiny little scene. It's He has a line, she has a line, he has this line, he shoots, that's it. Yeah. Tiny little scene. But it says so much about who this man is and what he will do. And yeah, I think one of the great things you can say about Zeta Gundam is it is not afraid to let characters kind of fail in their upward trajectory arcs. Because you could do a version of Zeta Gundam where the Day of Dakar episode is episode 45 and then you go into the final conflict and he ends it like, you know, on the, on the uh, bridge of the Argama declaring victory and like, you know, taking over. But they don't. Day of Dakar is in the 30s. Some time goes by. He has to, you know, supplicate himself to Haman Karn again and he has to lose and be... And, and lose everyone around him who he had come to care about and be left adrift in space. And that, to me is the most interesting dynamic thing you could do with Shara's novel, not the he becomes the hero we all want him to be deep in our hearts. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't know if deep in my heart I want him to be a hero. Yeah, you you know that like he's too far gone. Like yeah. there's no he can never quite be the the force for good that I think I think that he does want to be and yeah. people want him to be. Like he's not a monster. It's like you can't I don't think you can watch Zeta Gundam and think of him as being a monster. Like no. he, he does too much that's too good. But it, but it is this sense of like deep down he's broken like he's he's just he he went too far too long ago when he was too young. And it's also like that's yeah. one of the things the origin does so well is like he's broken also not by his own choice. There's some shit happened to him that like yeah. he's never going to get past that. Yeah, and so it it makes sense that that ultimately he fails. Yeah. <sighs> and a lot of people fail in Zeta Gundam. I guess they win in the end. It doesn't real, really feel like a victory. You know, they stop some worse shit from happening. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on, like, your... How you think about winning. Because it's like, I mean, they did defeat the Titans. But now fucking Haman Karn is there with... Like, what is, like, one of my favorite moments in Zeta Gundam? It's much earlier. It's when, like, Haman Karn and Axis first come in. And they're like, we think that there's, like, this new... Like, the Zeons are kind of coming back into the Earth sphere. And the AU are like, we can maybe use them or, like, try some sort of tre- tr- like truce. And they get in a big fight. And then the Zeons come in and, like, rout the Titans. And it's that this moment of, like, oh, shit. Like, because it's not, here's this, like, one ragtag band of Zeon for it. It's like, here's this whole fleet of, like, these Gaza Z mobile suits. And fucking Haman Karin is there, like, showboating. It's like, oh, God. What have, like, what's, like, the line we have awoken? Like, what have we, like tapped into and you know Haman Karn is very happy to fill a power vacuum that is left by the in the Zeta Gundam so victory is a relative term very much so uh any other thoughts on Zeta Sean um yeah you know it's I like we could obviously fill a whole other episode if we wanted to but I think this is a pretty good overview of our feelings I want to ask you one thing okay have you seen the new translation movie trilogy they did where they recompiled and reanimated a bunch. Yeah, so I've only I've seen like select scenes. So okay. it's basically the same thing I did with the compilation movies for the original show. I have which and for people I, we mentioned this on the last Weekly Zoo Gundam also, but that like that is those movies came out two thousand five two thousand six. So there is a twenty year gap between the two of them. So that is one of those where it's like the those movies are weird because like partially because the difference between 
original footage from Zeta Gundam that is like cleaned up and new animation you made in 2005 is so extreme it's like absurd and it does the same thing where the first movie has a lot of original or it has a lot of animation from the original show and then as they go on more and more new animation is put in there um, but they also do they change a couple of major things particularly the ending is not nearly as grim um, like Camille does not get fucked up in the okay. way he gets fucked up in the show so it's like it kind of becomes an alternate telling of some of Zeta Gundam yeah I'm interested to watch it at some point I've, I've scrubbed through them a little bit one annoying thing they did is they're in widescreen so not only is the, the old footage is also cropped which yeah. just like the transitions between them are very weird it's also it's not the modern remastered footage of Zeta it's older much grainier um, not as well kept footage so I don't know they don't I'm, I, I will watch them at some point because they're also much shorter they're three 90 minute movies not three two and a half hour movies and Zeta yeah. Gundam is longer than original Gundam so I'm very curious how they did them they were also hugely popular in Japan yeah um but, yeah, I, I think yeah, at some point I'll probably take a look at those when I just need a quick Zeta Gundam hit. But, yeah. And uh, I think but I think that about does it. What else should we say about Zeta before we... I mean, it's just... It's a hell of a fucking show. And it's, it's one that, like... It's... Again, it's that thing where, like, the Gundam franchise... Like, it is the original show and Zeta Gundam. They, like, together set the template for what Gundam yeah. does this point forward. Because... Like, if you like the sense of pacing that Zeta does and the way that, like, fights are done and, like, some of the character stuff and, like, the more complicated political situation, like, that is something that is much more common. Like, there are very few Mobile Suit Gundam shows that are just, here is a war between two sides. It's more often this kind of thing that Zeta Gundam does. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think we've both said at this point that, like, in our hearts we prefer the original Mobile Suit Gundam, and there's yeah. also some very clear reasons for that. I hope this two-and-a-half-hour conversation of us gushing about Zeta has proven this is not... That's not a way to put down Zeta Gundam. No. Like, these are two of my all-time favorite TV shows. Yeah. Like, they are amazing fucking... And, and again, like, they are... They're great on their own. They are made significantly better also by their juxtaposition yeah. with one another. That's true of Double Zeta in, in the movie as well. So I am very, very excited to get home and watch some Double Zeta and watch some Char's Counterattack. And, you know, I'm chugging along through these. So I think probably next time we do this, we'll talk Double Zeta. Yep. Char's Counterattack probably deserves its own episode. And you can yeah. rewatch that easily because it's yes. a two-hour movie. Yeah. So we'll do that at some point, but that's probably the plan for the next few episodes when we get around to those. Again, this will be kind of an irregular series, but I'm glad we could do a give Zeta Gundam its its due here. I am glad that we you know we have gone along with the tears of time, but Gundam is not over. I am very excited for the day when we can talk more about my queen Haman Karn. <laughs>